Trust me, Dave Brown, right along ringside. By golly, we're about ready to go with more big action. Thank you very much, and welcome to Georgia Championship Wrestling. I'm Gordon Soley, your host, and we have quite an hour in store for us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Championship Wrestling at ringside. This is Vince McMahon, along with wrestling's only living legend, Bruno Sammartino. Welcome to this week's edition of Mid-South Wrestling Television. I'm your host, Boyd Pierce, another outstanding card. Hey, guys, and welcome back to the Regional Wrestling Podcast, where we talk the territories. Yes, indeed, guys, another week of Regional Wrestling here. It's 100% guaranteed territory talk each and every time out here on the show. And I'm your host, Ray Russell. And this week, guys, we head back to the UWF once again in 1986, which means just around the corner, we're going to welcome back our special guest co-host, Roman Gomez. As this week, we look at the second half of the month of June, going to close out the month for the most part, as we go back and take a look at these Superdome results for June the 14th. And then from there, we're going to look at a couple weeks of television. Lots going on right now. Dark Journey going to debut her man, the man that's going to be going up against Jack Victory and company. Also, the Sheepherders, once again, going for those tag team championships, taking on the Fantastics right here on TV this week on Regional Wrestling. Terry Taylor defending his television championship against Freebird Buddy Roberts, plus referee Tommy Gilbert, who also just happens to be the father of Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert. He's going to be getting involved to a degree in the ongoing feud between the Cowboy Bill Watts and son Eddie. And we'll be looking at all of that this week and so much more. But first, just a friendly reminder, guys, that you can listen to the Regional Wrestling Podcast as well as our sister shows like the Wrestling Memory Grenade, currently covering the 1988 and the WWF Project. You can also listen to the Wrestling Stoop with the legend himself, Bob Roop. Bob goes back in time and shares many memories, many stories of his 20-plus year career inside and outside of the pro wrestling ring. And coming very soon, the Pearl Wrestling Academy podcast with host, the American professor of Pearl Reisu himself, Mr. Dan Gennetti. Dan going to school us all on the history of Japanese professional wrestling. Can't wait for that. And you guys can listen to all of those shows and more, all part of the WrestleCopia podcast network located over at WrestleCopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com and anywhere your podcast streaming needs are met from Apple to Spotify, Pocket Cast and beyond. And be sure to follow me on social media, guys, for all the latest goings on here at the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. Plus, I'm constantly adding old school video clips and pictures from throughout wrestling history. And you can do so. You can follow me on social media by heading over to X, formerly Twitter. And you can find me there at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-E-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Also, follow and like me at Facebook.com slash Wrestling Grenade. Over 9,000 followers and counting over there on Facebook. And hey, while you're at it, why not subscribe to my YouTube channel, guys? YouTube.com slash Wrestling Grenade. All sorts of great videos always going up there over on my YouTube account. And of course, now would be a tremendous time to become a WrestleCopia patron. Talking about that $5 all-access tier, and you can find me there at Patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. That address again, Patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Get you so many gifts for just five bucks, including all of my insanely detailed show notes for every episode of The Grenade Show, Monday Warfare, and of course, Regional Wrestling as well. You'll also get early access to many of the podcasts here on WrestleCopia, where you can listen days and sometimes as much as a week earlier than the rest of the listeners. Plus, you'll get remastered versions of the earliest episodes of The Grenade Show covering the 1989 NWA project. It includes enhanced sound quality 
plus new content and conversation never heard before. But that's still not all. You also get digital downloads for your viewing and reading pleasure. And of course, the Patreon-exclusive watch-along series, covering many past WWF and WCW events. And it's still not it, guys, because there's always the chance of random bonus video drops. You never know when I'm going to drop a handful of videos. Well, you get all of that for the low, low price of just $5. No subscription. Cancel any time. Show your support. Give it a try for a month. I think you'll like all of the content that I offer, and every penny of it goes right back here into paying the bills to keep the WrestleCopia Podcast Network and all of the wonderful shows here up and running for the months and the years to come. And now with all of that out of the way, time to jump back into things, heading back to 1986 and Bill Watts's Universal Wrestling Federation. And away we go. Another week of the UWF in 1986 here on Regional Wrestling. So good to have him back. Let's welcome him back to the show. Can't do this project without him. Welcome back, Roman Gomez. Roman, great to have you, my friend. Man, it's good to be back. How's everybody out there doing? Hope you're enjoying the podcast. How's everybody doing out there? Good question to the fans out there. How am I doing? Well, not too bad either, Roman. I hope you're doing all right out there. I know work keeps you busy. Yeah, yeah, it's our busy time, and got hurt the other day at work, which oh. makes work even harder. But uh, like, like Lou Gehrig, I'm going to plow through. I'm going to be the Iron Horse. Oh, can't you make them pay you to sit at home? <laughs> no, no, they won't pay me to sit at home and uh, do a podcast. Unfortunately, oh, unfortunately, I have to actually show up. Oh, that, would, that would be an awesome, tremendous. I don't even, I didn't even think of the podcast part, but yeah, that. So, uh... <laughs> think of how much we could record if I was at home all day. <laughs> oh my god. Mid-South O'Plenty. Uh, well, guys, we welcome you back to the Regional Wrestling Podcast, the UWF version of Regional Wrestling here in 1986. Last we left off, we were talking about June the 13th at the Sam Houston Coliseum. Covered those results, Roman. So now we fast forward the following day, June the 14th, and it's off to the Superdome in Nolens, New Orleans, Louisiana. 11,000 fans for a $70,000 gate in 1986 money. Now, in today's money, that's almost 200 k now, that sounds great, but down substantially from last summer. Last August, I think it was, in 85, they drew 16,000 fans, so quite a few less here, about 5,000 less. So they, they drew $107,000 in 85, which is like over $300,000 in today's money. So technically, even though this sounds pretty good, they're down 30% in sales from 85 to 86. Yeah, and they've talked, uh, Watts has mentioned some of the reasons why the Crowds went down, you know, with the economy and everything. And, right. uh, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a drop-off. But, you know, if I was in that area, I would still show up. You know, I would love to see the action that they had at the Superdome. Well, I would have been there. But that number, that, that number that I just talked about, 11,000 fans, it'll, it'll increase slightly by November here in 86. I think they get about 13,000 for that show at the Superdome. But to me, with all the current talent, all the current ongoing angles, great stuff going on here, this has to already be a, a warning sign of things to come with the fans of that area. You were just talking about the financial hardships to come. Yeah, you know, and as a fan back then, we didn't know the behind-the-scenes stuff like we do now, and 
we were just hoping that the UWF was just going to be a powerhouse for years and years and years to come. Well, the people that attended, the show was over. That's for sure. Like I said, the talent's there. The stories are there. It's just, you know, maybe the money's not there for some of the fans. That's unfortunate. Yeah, yeah, obviously. I mean, you know, you want to be entertained. You want to go have a good time. But if the purse strings are tight and you can't afford it and you got a wife and kids and whatnot, I mean, you got to think of the family and wrestling gets put on the back burner. And even if you have a few uh, bucks in disposable income, instead of having a bunch of money, now you have to pick and choose where you want to go and how you want to spend it. Do I want that steak dinner or do I want to go watch wrestling? You know, I I know my answer, but well, actually I would choose both if I could. But, you know, what I'm saying is maybe before you could do both things and now maybe you can only pick one and that also hurts them. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Uh, But we're going to kick things off here in the Superdome, guys. It's Brett Wayne Sawyer defeating the one-man gang right out of the gate. Now, don't have a cow, guys. It's by disqualification. Brett Wayne going over on the gang here. Again, using this matchup as a way to get over how dangerous and violent the gang can be as he just mauls the very competent Brett Sawyer here. Steel chairs, the 747 splash, just relentlessly mauling him until being disqualified after only four minutes of action and even still continuing the punishment post-match, both in and out of the ring. So this wasn't just another guy. This was Brett Sawyer. So it's not just your typical prelim guy on the TV show. We actually know who Brett Sawyer was. We saw him on TBS a couple years ago as well. And here he is. uh, Well, he's not doing the job because he's kind of going over here by DQ, but man, uh, making an example for the one-man gang. You know, and if you are going to have one-man gang lose, that is the best way to lose. Like you said, it shows them as a, as a monster, as a force that throws the rule book out the window. He doesn't care what happens. You know, he just wants to inflict punishment, you know. And this was back in the day when we were conditioned to hearing Gorilla Monsoon say, you know, you, you want to get the victory so you can go to the pay window. You know, they programmed our mind that the winner got more money. But yeah. by gang doing this, it showed he didn't care about money. He just wanted to hurt people. I have to wonder, do you think he would have been booked this way had he not done what he did with Duggan, cracking his skull? It felt like they... they pivoted a little bit from just making gang one of the top heels in the territory to this guy who just doesn't care because all of a sudden he's hitting people a whole lot harder. He's swinging chairs. He's getting disqualified against job guys. And so, and even Brett Sawyer here and, and he's still laying the beaten beating in post-match. So he's really relentless, really getting him over as not just a monster heel, but a, a very aggressive evil man. Yeah. That could have been a shift in character. You know, that, that's a good point. You know, maybe Watts saw that as we can, make him even more menacing, you know? And uh, I remember when Chris Benoit broke Sabu's neck, you know, then all of a sudden he's the crippler crippler, and they kind of changed focus with him. I mean, Benoit was a phenomenal technical wrestler, but they made him more kind of a a aggressive, violent wrestler that could still be technical. Very true. Uh, Great observation there. As uh, we roll on here in the Superdome, Robert Gibson coming to town, defeating Baron Von Raschke. Raschke going for a body slam here. We see Gibson turning into a, inside cradle now remember ricky morton in one of the main events here taking on the nwa world champion rick flair so robert gibson simply getting thrown a bone here in the baron you know gibson was a tremendous talent but it's it's weird seeing him in a different role you know you're used to seeing morton selling tagging in gibson seeing the hot tag and when you're in a singles match obviously there is no hot tag right yeah so and and he's working the baron here in 1986 baron no offense guys but you know yeah, Baron, uh, somebody I'm quite familiar with. Used to see him all the time at the showboat. But yeah, by 1986, he was sort of politely a little long in the tooth when it came to the wrestling wars. And, uh, you know, just trying to be polite. I don't want to insult Baron. He's a nice guy. You know, it yeah. definitely had a place in history, but he wasn't the same guy he used to be. 
No, definitely not. Not by this point. But yeah, uh, quite a legend for sure. Uh, as we go on, it's Coco Beware defeating Jack Victory with Lady Maxine. Finish going to see Jack Victory set up for his finisher, the Gourd Buster. But Dark Journey comes out ringside, which causes a distraction long enough for Coco to recover. And when Victory finally tries to execute the move, Coco going to slide out of it, turn around, and schoolboy Victory to get the 1-2-3. Four minutes and ten seconds. Kind of a quick match here. But it's uh, setting something else up as Jacko, looking to exact a little revenge post-match, he attacks the Birdman, but where? Backdropping Jack Victory over the top rope and out of the floor. And with Victory out of the way, this only leaves one thing. An empty ring, Roman, for the ladies to once again do their thing. So we get yet another cat fight, a shoot fight, if you will, between the ladies, Maxine and Dark Journey. And Max has to be pulled away by Jack Victory here. And this will mark Maxine's final night in the UWF. Yeah, the the cat fight was something that uh, people had liked for for quite a time. You know, you used to see Sunshine and Missy Hyatt and uh, Stella Mae French, and you know, so when you could see a cat fight back then, you felt like you were getting a little little extra bonus. And just thinking about at that time, you start to kind of appreciate Coco a little bit more, and you start to think about what could have been. You know, right. had he not gained the weight, not been kind of the cartoon character, because. His work in Memphis, as well as here, like, he was a good talent. Yeah, you know, it's so funny, too. Whenever they needed time to fill, on a, like a prime time, they go to the, you know, the TV tapings, the extra matches, and they needed time to fill, they would send him out there. Go work Harley Race for 15 minutes. Go work Rick Rude for 15 minutes. And those matches are out there. They're on primetime wrestling or maybe the Maple Leaf Gardens and things like that, and, and they treat Coco as an equal. He's holding his own. And then he goes back to doing the job the following week or whatever they need him to do. But every once in a while, they would pull that out, and he was still pretty damn good, at least early on in his WWF run. Yeah, he would have been fun to see have a, a decent run as a cruiserweight-type champion, you know, or light heavyweight. You know, back then, he was a lot lighter. And, uh, yeah, Coco was definitely an asset. All right, so we're going to address the, uh, the the departure of Maxine here, Roman. I did a little digging. She's done an interview in the past, so these this information is taken directly from her. Uh, Janine, her real name, she talks about this period in time in her, her wrestling career. Now, in real life, she had received a journalism degree from the University of South Florida, so she's an educated young lady. But uh, from an interview that she did, uh, she remembered an unpleasant experience she re- referred to it as at the end of her career here at the Houston Coliseum show the day prior, June the 13th, as all of her personal belongings were stolen out of her locker room. Even the journal of her wrestling experiences, she kept a journal of I guess her time in the wrestling business, everything was stolen from her locker room. She said, luckily, she had remembered Mula's advice about keeping money inside her boots, keeping her paydays inside the boots. So she didn't lose her money, but everything else taken away from her. So without her gear, the following day here in the Superdome, Maxine had a booking here, obviously. And since her outfits were stolen, she actually went down to the local thrift shop. I don't know if you caught what she was wearing here, Roman, but it was very different from her, her normal routine of, of the garb that she wore to the ring. So she goes down to the thrift shop and she purchases a sequined majorettes outfit, which she wears here. She kind of wraps it in duct tape or something to give it a little bit of a odd look, but you can actually see that as she's leaving here from the fight with dark journey, she's wearing that type of gear. Sadly, this would be her final night in the business. Now I had to wonder, you know, because when she explained this before, it wasn't completely explained. Did she give her notice before the things were stolen? And maybe some asshole said, I'm going to take her belongings to teach her a lesson. Or did that lead to her quitting the business? I, I truly don't know, but maybe that's a question I'll have to ask her here coming up in April 
at Barry Rose and Nick Massey's Glory Days Grapple Con event. Yeah, you know, and it and it also makes you wonder just you saying that out loud. Were there incidents before this? You know, maybe this was the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, you just kind of whether you want to call it hazing or whatever. You know, maybe there was stuff that happened leading up to it, and this could have been the the boiling point where she says, you know what, heck with this. I, I don't need this anymore. Very well could have been. And I'm also curious, you know, somebody goes in there and steals everything out of her locker room. That feels like somebody teaching, sending her a message. Was it to send, you know, to, to get her to quit? Or did she already put in her notice? You know, that's something I'm very interested about. However, it's unfortunate. And the story checks out. You can watch this right here from the Superdome. She's rocking a majorette outfit. So it, it's uh, insane, you know, what she what she went and did for the business, though. What she did went and did for her character Instead of just going out there in street clothes, she said, no, I'm going to still look the part and put something crazy on and do this thing right. She knew she was quitting, and she still took one last licking from Dark Journey out there. Well, knowing Bill Watts, he probably would have fined her big time, you know, had she not dressed in something <laughs> sort of like her character. You know, Watts was a very strict guy who wasn't a, wasn't afraid to fine wrestlers for things. So if she just showed up in jeans and a T-shirt, Watts might have uh, shortened her pay a little bit. Uh, true that, true that. Yeah, she didn't really have any comments to make about Bill, so I don't think she had too many issues with him. So I'm assuming her pay came through here at the Superdome. As the show goes on, oh my God, look at this one. Terry Gordy and Buddy Roberts, the fabulous Freebirds, defeat the team of Rock, the Ultimate Warrior, and Sting, the Blade Runners. The Freebirds over the Blade Runners. And I can't say 100% definitively that this is Warrior's last match in the UWF, but I also, I can't confirm any of his appearances beyond this date. And he will indeed start with world class at the June 13th taping. So the warrior on the way out of the UWF, but this did happen guys. And it was filmed Gordy versus the warrior. Oh man, that would have been awesome. Yeah. We had talked about that on a, on a previous podcast, but I, my guess is that at that point in time, I don't think warrior would have given Gordy too, too much grief about things about re, want, uh, not wanting to sell or whatnot. Cause Gordy, despite being a young man, he was actually a grizzled vet, you know, because right. he'd been around. He started so early. And, uh, yeah, that would have been interesting to see if there was any backstage uh, conversations or, you know, like uh, if Gordy tried to put him in his place or, you know, it would have been fun to find out any scoop about that match. Yeah, no, I don't think the Warrior was going to put up a fight here. I mean, he was selling for Bill Watts, the, obviously the promoter also. But I I'm not saying that he was giving Gordy a rough time in the ring here. I, I just would have liked to have seen what Gordy did to the Warrior in this match. Presuming they got in the ring at the same time, you have to believe they did. And, and, we, and they probably never crossed paths again. So it's just something I would have liked to have seen. Oh, yeah, likewise. I'm on the same page. And just thinking about that, you know, we, we know they didn't hook up anywhere else. So that would have been just the visual of seeing those two in the ring would have been <laughs> <Right>. something. <laughs> so prior to the next match, Hacksaw Jim Duggan comes out to ringside and he cuts a promo on Skandor Akbar and Devastation Incorporated, Kamala and the gang. The gang and Akbar are going to accompany the Ugandan giant, the mighty Kamala, to the ring for the next matchup. And remember, Roman, it was announced that Kamala was to wrestle Hacksaw Duggan, but Duggan is not cleared after cracking his skull. Therefore, taking Hacksaw's place in this matchup is the one and only, the missing link returning to the territory. And with the gang and Akbar in the corner of Kamala here, Duggan decides, I'm going to stay in the corner of the missing link for this one. Talk about wild action. Missing Link finally going to score the win here over Kamala on a disqualification after the one-man gang interferes in the matchup. And as you guys may suspect, Hacksaw Jim Duggan not that far behind. So he's not cleared to wrestle, but he's cleared to brawl as we get a crazy brawl between these four men. And look at the names here. Missing Link, Hacksaw, Kamala, and the gang. 
What a wild match that could have been. Right. And just thinking about it, as far as the link and Kamala goes, those two, without a doubt, had two of the best transformations in the history of wrestling. Oh as my God. Dewey Robertson, he was not going to go anywhere, you know, and he became the missing link. And Kamala, Sugar Bear Harris, you know, just did not have main event written all over it. <laughs> and then you look at how their careers turned out. Like, man, those were two gimmick changes that really, really worked for these guys. Yeah, it saved their careers. They got they got a lot of longevity out of that. Now, now Dewey Robertson had already had a career prior to the Missing Link gimmick, so he had kind of been working up there in Toronto and whatnot, but he, he wasn't going to make it, say, in New York or in you know one of these top uh, promotions right. of, of the 1980s, Mid-South or Dallas and, and whatnot. But here is the Missing Link. He was able to revive his career. He got a little shot there in the WWF. Of course, he may have had some demons that did wasn't too long in the company, but he was even up there in New York under the missing link character. Certainly had the body type, had the look for it for a gimmick up there. So he had his shot there as well. But yeah, here he is in the UWF. And what really makes it impressive to me is this was an era where you had to talk him into the building. And those two didn't talk. And, but yet yeah. people still came out to see him. Yeah, and depending on the territory, Kamala had a manager, or sometimes he didn't. But obviously, you know, they talked for him, but it was the character really, that, that drove people in to see mm -hmm. who can beat the mighty Kamala. But at the same time, Missing Link, now, he had been a heel also, but as a babyface, yeah, sometimes he would have a valet, sometimes he didn't. But he was over as hell. People just wanted to see the Missing Link come out. And he was no spring chicken, and he no. was in phenomenal shape, too. That's yeah. something he doesn't get enough credit for. You know, they look at the face pain, the goofy hair. I mean, this dude definitely spent some time in the gym. Yeah, for his age. I mean, he looked phenomenal at the time. I'm trying to think. When would he have been born? Somewhere around, I, I, I think he was born in like 1939 or something, if, if I remember correctly. So that's like 49, 59, 60. He's, he's pushing 50 here. That's, it's insane. Yeah, yeah. And he, he, uh, he didn't look it. He, he had a physique that guys in their mid-20s would have loved to have had. Right, but the face paint gets to cover up the aging face of the missing link. The, the odd right. haircut gets to cover up the fact that he's going bald and all of voila, the mm -hmm. missing link is born. Just fantastic idea. Whoever, whoever came up with it, he perfected it. Obviously he, he changed it up, changed up the look from the uh, initial appearances, but kudos to him. Kudos to Dewey Robertson. And uh, yeah, the missing link is back here in the mid South territory. And uh, we'll have a lot more about him before we're done here today on the show. Roman, as we continue on a rematch, the new television champion, Terry Taylor, taking on the former champion here, mad dog, buzz Sawyer as the action will be shown on Power Pro, so go check that out on my YouTube, guys. But Buzz Sawyer going to the top rope near the end of the matchup looking for that Mad Dog Splash. Of course, that's illegal, so luckily, he doesn't land it. He misses the splash, and Terry Taylor going to capitalize on the stunned Sawyer with a sunset flip to score the win 12 minutes, the full match shown on Power Pro. So Terry Taylor going to defeat the Mad Dog here, but it's not over yet, Roman. Buzz is not happy demanding Taylor get back in the ring. He wants a rematch, and he wants it right now. And of course, Terry Taylor, being a fighting champion, obliges. And as Taylor tries to slide back in the ring, Buzz Sawyer attacks like a mad dog on the prowl. But Terry surprises him, coming running off the ropes with a Thez press, going to get a second. One, two, three. Terry Taylor scoring a second win in just 30 seconds flat. Obviously, Buzz Sawyer didn't learn that you don't challenge somebody after you lost. I mean, that happened to him and Pez Watley in Georgia. He challenged him. He lost twice on TV to Watley, too. I feel like he did that to Hacksaw a couple months back as well. Yeah, yeah, we had talked about that. It must have been a shtick. I have to think it was a Buzz Sawyer shtick. 
But uh, sadly, guys, this marks the end of Buzz Sawyer's career here in the UWF. He's going to finish up tonight doing a couple jobs for Terry Taylor on the way out. It won't be long before the Mad Dog reappears down in Dallas for the world-class territory. Yeah, he had a very successful uh, tag team stint with Matt Bourne being the tag champs and, uh, you know, had stuff with the Von Erichs and everything. And wherever Sawyer went, I was always happy to see him. Sawyer and Matt Bourne, those are two guys that could have been called the demons without actually having to wear hoods. Oh, my gosh. The the stories that could be told about those two or the stories, if they were alive, that they could tell. Like just That would have been a fun, well, maybe not a fun road, but to to be in the background and just watch those two live their life, my gosh, they would, the stories that could have been told from that. Yeah, I've, I've only heard a couple of, uh, you know, behind-the-scenes stories about Buzz Sawyer from Bob Roop, and I'm, you know, well, we've heard a lot of Buzz Sawyer stories at this point, but it's just, it's insane. But, you know, you look at this, if I was a guy, if I was like Bobby Fulton or Tommy Rogers, and I was working against those two, Bourne and um, Buzz Sawyer, I would go out there, I'm getting a, I'm getting a good payday, and they're going to respect me and treat me right, I, I hopefully. But if I'm a prelim guy and that's who I'm out there in Dallas and that's who I'm put against and you're going to throw me 50 bucks, I'm probably just leaving, Roman. It's not worth the risk. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I'd be too happy if I walked in the locker room, looked at the roster or the lineup, rather, and then it said Roman versus Buzz Sawyer. I don't think I'd be too happy about that. That's it's kind of funny. Me and Jamie recently in the Georgia show, we just had that conversation about uh, going to the lineup and, and seeing your wrestling bruiser Brody of all the names on the on the Georgia roster right now. Ooh. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or you're an ECW and like, oh, you got New Jack tonight. You know, oh, good luck. Well, that's the end of my ECW run. As uh, we roll on here at Superdome, several more matches, guys, including the Fantastics, UWF Tag Team Champions defeating the Sheep Herders in a New Zealand boot camp match. Would have loved to have seen how Luke and Butch surrendered there. Also, Ted DiBiase defeating Michael Hayes under disqualification. NWA World Champion Ric Flair scoring a win over Ricky Morton on a pinfall. And in the main event, the American Dream, Death of Rove, come to town, baby. Dusty teaming with the Cowboy Bill Watts and Dr. Death Steve Williams. They're going to pick up a win here in a New Orleans street fight over the trio of Korchenko and Ivan and Nikita Koloff. And what a threesome. Watts, Doc, and Dusty. You know, if you're a fan of the baby faces, you've got to be in heaven at that, that dream team right there. Oh, for sure. You bring Dusty to town. He's working against those evil Russians. He's had it out with Uncle Ivan for years. Nikita, one of the top draws, one of the top heels in, in Crockett land right now. So we got the Crockett guys involved. And, of course, Bill Watts coming out of retirement. Dr. Death, one of the top UWF baby faces. And then we have Korchenko because you got to fill the slot. Yeah, and, and in case everybody out there doesn't know, Doc does not like Russians, and neither does Bill Watts. Oh, he hasn't liked them at least since college. That's what I, <laughs> that's what I heard anyway, Rome. That's the rumor. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's, yeah that, that's the word on the street. Tell me what, tell me what you think here. I get, he's not in there. He's more of the manager role. He does wrestle sometimes, but don't you think Eddie Gilbert would have got a lot more heat as the third member in this match rather than Korchenko? That or what they could have done also was something that the AWA was notorious for doing with Heenan and the Sheik. If the baby faces win, Watts gets five minutes with Eddie oh, Gilbert. Yes, or, there you, you know, go. They could have done something like that. Oh, and that the crowd would have really ate that up. Yeah. And Eddie's not even a manager manager, so he would have taken taken some great bumps. Yeah, yeah. He could have bumped for a couple minutes and then ran back to the locker room and people would have wanted to come back and, and see it see it again. Well, there it was, guys, the Superdome for June the fourteenth. Now also June the fourteenth, there was some television going on, guys. And that's UWF TV. That was taped back June the eighth, airing here June the fourteenth. So just a few days ago, this was uh recorded. 
at the Tulsa Convention Center, Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's Jim Ross and Michael Hayes on commentary as we go back to May the 24th and we see Jack Victory and Lady Maxine manhandling, or is it woman handling, the dark journey. Now, last week, if you recall, Roman, Michael Hayes claimed that the ditzy broad dark journey sent him a letter apologizing for slapping him. And Jim Ross had commented, well, he'd like to see that letter. Well, ask and ye shall receive, Jr. as Michael Hayes just happens to have the letter with him here this week, and he hands it off to Jim Ross to read to the people. Now, in it, uh, Journey, I use uh, some air quotes around that, Journey apologizes for her actions as she says she's going through some things right now, and she got a little carried away slapping Hayes. P.S. Well, the P.S. stands for purely sexy. Signed, Dark Journey. Mm-hmm. So Jim Ross, he thinks it looks like Michael Hayes' handwriting here in this letter. And I'm not sure where they're going with this, Roman, but it was fun banter. It was a funny segment just to hear Ross go, you know, that looks like you're writing. And, you know, to hear Hayes' response back. And it, it was funny. You know, the the heel that can obviously lie uh, just were so entertaining back in the day. Right. You know, the Heen and the Hayes that would just obviously try to pull the wool over your eyes, even though you just saw what happened. They just great stuff. Unless I'm wrong, this doesn't really go anywhere. It's just kind of a comedy bit of sorts, if you want to call it that. But even in their comedy bits, there's continuity. She slaps him one week. The next week, he reads this quote-unquote letter. And now this week, he presents the letter to Jim Ross at the top of the show. So even in, even in these little tiny throwaway bits, there's continuity everywhere in Bill, Bill Watts land. Yeah, and it's nice not to just do something and then sweep it under the rug. You know, the, they weren't dragging it out and making it the focal point of the company or anything but like you said there was continuity and that's always nice so we go back next to the closing moments of last week's show terry taylor defeating buzz sawyer for the television title and what an awesome finish it was going off the air we we saw the credits rolling we're trained to believe we're not going to watch the finish here but buzz sawyer goes for a suplex and in one fluid motion terry taylor comes down and turns it into an inside cradle to pick up the win and win the in the tv title he didn't even land on his feet he, he literally came straight down in the suplex, hooked his leg underneath Buzz's and turned it into the cradle. Great spot there from those two. Yeah, Taylor was a, a very good performer. Uh, like Coco that I had mentioned earlier, definitely could have done more. You know, of course, he was saddled with the Red Rooster gimmick, but Taylor really was a tremendous talent. And uh, I may be one of the few people that actually liked him when he was a tailor-made man, you know, in WCW. I did, he, I did. He, he, as good as a baby face as he was, the heels seemed so much more natural. He seemed that smug, arrogant guy. You know, like it wasn't that much of a stretch right. for him to play a heel. Yeah, if you could look look past the uh, the cheap version of a million dollar man suit at the Taylor mm-hmm. Made Man, you were just going to get a good wrestling match out of him. That's what you were. Uh, if you were there for that, you you were certainly entertained, and I know I was. And I I remember I think they even had three weeks in a row of Taylor versus Arn Anderson in WCW, and and. You didn't care who won or lost. I mean, you just oh, knew you were going to see a good TV. match. And t- mm-hmm. Yeah, Taylor could give you that. Taylor could give you a 20, 30, 40-minute match, and uh, you'd still want to see it. Yeah, the throwaway match with Bobby Eaton on the Halloween Havoc in 91. It was my favorite match on the entire show. There was not even a reason for it, but best match on the show, in my, my opinion. The original Lethal Lottery, they stick Taylor on one side, Lex Luger on the other. Now, Taylor is in the York Foundation. He's not very over at the time, and he goes out there and kills it. He's a heel and he's in there working with the WCW champion Lex Luger in this tag team match, and Luger lets him shine, and shine he does. I mean, I, I popped for that, too. So I've, I was a huge Terry Taylor fan as a heel. Yeah, yeah, and the stuff he did with Chris Adams and World Class, and uh, 
he was a lot of fun to watch. He was a good choice as a television champion, and he definitely brought a lot to the to the organization. Well, we're going to see Terry in a great matchup here upcoming. But uh, before we get there, right now we're off to the ring for Dr. Death, Steve Williams, taking on it's our first appearance of The Shadow. As Doc makes his way out to the bosses, Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA. As Dr. Death is here, guys, a boss in his own right. And The Shadow across the ring in a full-body black suit, oriental body suit as they call it here, complete with Al Snow's Shinobi-style mask as he bows early on to tease some illegal martial arts chops. But Dr. Death powers out of a waist lock early on and plows the shadow over with a big shoulder tackle. The masked man finally sneaking in a few cheap shots, but he gets blasted back into the corner by another shoulder tackle. Awesome bump, by the way. Gets launched into the corner by Doc. And then Shadow scooped up, and he's ready for the Oklahoma Stampede as the crowd nearly breaks the speakers on my laptop, Roman. Insanely loud as Doc is simply walking around the ring with the shadow up over his shoulder before finally driving him down with the stampede and scoring the win two minutes and 33 seconds. You know, and it didn't matter who Doc wrestled. When you heard Born in the USA blaring like that, it just got you fired up. And you mentioned the crowd. I had that in my notes, too. They were 200% behind Doc. They were so loud. Uh, he hit some impressive shoulder tackles before finishing off the shadow. And, uh, yeah, this was a great showcase match for Doc. And something I wrote in my notes just after watching this, like, to me, you can really feel Ross and Hayes starting to gel as a team. Oh, yeah. you, there, there's something going on there. You can feel it. They are a good team. Yeah, they're not just taking turns talking anymore. They're really interacting more so than they were prior. Yes, and uh, one, of, one of my favorite duos to listen to. So I'll say this much. I did my damned. I thought the shadow was really great uh, as, a, as a prelim guy here. And, and I did my damnedest online to try to figure out who this was under the mask. And maybe some super Mid-South band out there knows, and, and hopefully they'll write in and let us know. Uh, but the only thing I could find was there was a guy wrestling as the shadow right around this time in the central States by the name of Jamie Knight. I don't have any other information on him. Could be that guy, but this guy seemed like he was knew what he was doing in the ring, the bumps he was taking right place, right time. And uh, I, I thought he was great in his, in his spot on the show. Yeah, he, he definitely made doc look good. He he knew his role. He knew how to sell the moves. And I was thinking the same thing, you know, it wasn't just a, a squash. It was a squash that really made doc look good because of what the shadow did. You know, it, right. it takes two to tango. It does indeed. Uh, off now, guys, we got a few sound bites in this episode of UWF TV surrounding referee Tommy Gilbert. And this is the first of several as we go off now to a special interview segment with referee Tommy Gilbert, who also just happens to be the father of hot stuff, Eddie Gilbert. I've called y'all here for one thing and one thing only. This thing that's going on between my son and the UWF president, Cowboy Bill Watts, has been bearing on my mind now heavy, real heavy, for about three weeks. Because I knew it was building to something that I wouldn't like, and it's beginning to get me in here. And so, with things the way it is, Eddie being my son, and I know a lot of you parents sitting out there understand what I'm fixing to say. Whenever your kids grow up, and you see them go out on their own, and you know that they're doing things that they shouldn't do, you want to say something to them. But you don't really feel like that you can and make them do anything anymore because they're on their own. And that's sort of the way I feel about Eddie. But this thing has got so strong now with Cowboy doing his thing that I want to say this. 
I can't afford to stay here the way my feelings are about this and keep working for the UWL. And I would just like to say this, that as of now, I would like to turn in my resignation as an official for the UWL and make it now final. So Tommy Gilbert makes a special statement here, Roman, on the recent issues between Bill Watts and his son, Eddie Gilbert. Tommy talking about watching your children growing up, wanting to talk to them about the things you disagree with. But you realize once they're grown, they're a man on their own. They're their own person. And Tommy, he can't stand to be so close to this situation, thus turning in his resignation. So Tommy Gilbert, almost embarrassed to come to work, it would seem, knowing his boss is embroiled in a feud with his own son. And this was an era when kayfabe was alive and well. So if you're believing into this, how would you feel if you're a father, you're going to love your son, but then you see him act like an idiot. You see him do stupid things and actions that it's hard to defend. It It would be hard, like you said, to go to work and to be in that environment. So he wanted to resign just so he wouldn't have to deal with all the stuff coming down the pike and watching his son get involved with Watts and uh, degrade America. So Tommy Gilbert looking to turn in his resignation. And now we're going to hear from the other side. We're going to hear from the business side from one cowboy, Bill Watts. Certainly. I know that Tommy Gilbert has had an agonizing time since the situations happened between myself and his son. I've seen in his eyes and I know he's wanted to talk to me about it. And I wanted to talk to him, but you know, I guess either, neither one of us has really been able to open it up with each other because I think the hardest thing you can talk to about to a man is about family problems, especially about his children. I have children of my own, and I'd be very concerned were they involved in something that was so against everything I believed and everything I tried to raise them up to believe. However, Tommy Gilbert has continued to referee in an exemplary manner. I think he's one of the best officials in the, in the world today, and we're very proud to have him. I'm sorry that it's gotten down to where he has to tender a resignation. As president of the Universal Wrestling Federation, I won't accept that resignation. That'll have to be up to Ken Mantell, vice president of business affairs, or Grizzly Smith, the matchmaker. I know that the way I believe, my children, once they reach an age of understanding, they have to be responsible for their own actions. And I have to support what I believe is right, even if it's against what they do. And Tommy Gilbert, I want to tell you one thing, man to man, I'm going to kick your son's tail, and I'm going to kick it real good. So if you can handle your job and still be there to see him get what he has coming, I think you're more of a man than I ever realized. So there it was, the Cowboy issuing his own statement, replying to Tommy Gilbert. Bill knows that both he and Tommy Gilbert have been wanting to talk about the situation about the son, Eddie Gilbert. But the hardest thing you can ever do is talk to a man about his family, about his children. Even with Eddie's behavior, Tommy has been exemplary as a referee, says Watts here. So Watts refusing to accept the resignation of Tommy Gilbert. He said that would be up to Grizzly Smith or Ken Mantell to handle. The Cowboy then informs Tommy, man to man, that Watts is going to kick his son's tail. Tail is better than Fanny, Roman. Uh, But Yeah, I was was thinking the same thing. (laughs) But if Tommy can live with that, if he can live with Bill Watts kicking his son's ass... Bill welcomes Tommy to stay on as a UWF official. Yet another prime example of Bill Watts addressing the elephant in the room. Hey, wait a minute. Tommy, the referee, is Eddie, the Top Heels' father. Watts letting it play out here on TV with a discussion to let us all know at home where Papa Gilbert stands. 
I thought that was good, too. Not only what Tommy Gilbert was feeling and thinking, but what Watts was thinking. And Watts, let's face it, hasn't always been the most impartial guy. We have documented no. <laughs> how he put the screws to Dick Slater oh, every chance he could. Yeah. But here he knows Tommy Gilbert is a good referee, and he doesn't want to lose him as a referee. Yeah. So he's letting him stay on, but he's letting Tommy know, hey, I'm going to get your son. I'm going to kick his tail. There you go. Up next, six-man tag team action on the show. It's the Blade Runners, Rock and Sting, teaming with Korchenko, Eddie Gilbert in their corner, taking on the trio of Brett Wayne Sawyer, Perry Jackson, and Jeff Gaylord back again, going to try again, as the king of props, the king of visual aids, if you will. Eddie Gilbert brings out a blown-up picture of Bill Watts laid out with the Russian flag buried over top of him. Eddie then marching around ringside, showing it off to the fans and the camera as well. Can't make the cowboy happy. As we get to the action, as Brett Wayne nearly upsets Sting right out of the gate with a surprise crossbody for a near fall. Then it's the Rock's turn, the ultimate warrior in, driving Sawyer down with a big slam. But Perry Jackson tagging in for the, I guess you can call it the babyface side of things. Perry, though, immediately eats a stiff-ass warrior clothesline to the face, guys. And it's the ultimate warrior's gorilla press slam before the Stinger in for a high elevation splash. Gonna get the heels the win. One minute and 27 seconds. And I know, I'm sure you caught this, Roman. For the second straight week in a row, Jeff Gaylord never gets in the ring. Really weird. Yep, that is in my notes as well. And, uh, you know, right on cue. And, you know, let's give Watts credit for the way he formatted this TV show. You know, he's got the Tommy Gilbert interview. Mm -hmm. Then he does an interview. And then right on the heels of that, Eddie Gilbert comes out with a poster of Watts being buried under the Russian flag right? just to remind everybody and to rub their nose in it, look what I did, look what I can do, look what I did to your hero. And that's why Tommy Gilbert wanted to resign because of his punk kid, Eddie Gilbert, not even showing remorse for what he did, but bragging about it and being happy about putting the cowboy under the Russian flag. Right. It was, it was a, a great format here for the TV. You're right, absolutely. Back to back to back. As uh, we continue on here, we get a recap here of the current or the first ever UWF heavyweight champion, Terry Gordy. We see him winning the UWF title here in subsequent videos of Gordy's accomplishments. Quick clip of Gordy wrestling for all Japan, even though the, the text on the screen says New Japan. Get your shit together there, Joel. A uh, clip from the old Mid-South studio of the Birds in Action from 1980, all set to the tune of Freebird by Leonard Skinner here. Basically just a hype piece for the UWF champion, Terry Gordy. And it was funny. I, you probably had the same reaction I did when you hear Joel Watts on the video piece mention New Japan. I go, New Japan? Right. And then clearly they show the ring and the apron says all Japan. All Japan, right. You know, I, yeah, I mean, you know, it wasn't uh, a well, mistake of catastrophic proportions no, or no, anything. Especially not for the American kind of fans back then, right, yeah. You know, but uh, somebody in editing should have caught that. Absolutely. Uh, so we go off now. Another VTR we had backstage, another interview from the Wow, an aging Burt Reynolds is here. Oh, wait, that's just referee Tommy Gilbert and some sunglasses. Anyways, <laughs> we're off right now. We're going to go hear from Tommy Gilbert respond to Bill Watts. I would like to thank the UWF and Cowboy Bill Watts, the president at this time, for not accepting uh, my resignation because uh, I like what I'm doing. I enjoy it, and I want to stay at it. But as far as the revenge that Bill Watts says that he wants to take out on my son, Eddie. Nobody wants to see his kids hurt or mistreated in any way. 
But as far as that goes, I guess the only thing that I can say right now, if Bill can straighten him out, maybe that'll help. All right, so how about Tommy Gilbert looking like Burt Reynolds here, an aging Burt Reynolds is what I called it. That's a very good analogy. For those of you that don't know about Burt Reynolds, you younger fans, he was a big deal back in the day. Yeah, Google Burt Reynolds and then go to my YouTube and look at the main picture for this episode of TV. I, I, I specifically purposely made it a picture of Tommy Gilbert sitting here looking like Burt Reynolds, uh, if Burt had had the air hairpiece out anyway. Yeah, yeah, was, uh, I can see a resemblance. That's a good call there. <laughs> Definitely had the mustache going. It's, uh, Tommy mm-hmm. appreciates the, uh, the comments here made by Bill Watts in Mid-South Sports. Refusing to accept his resignation, Tommy is glad because he enjoys his job and is happy to do it. Now, in regards to the comments Watts made about kicking his son's ass, well, nobody wants to see their their kids hurt or mistreated, Roman. However, if Bill can straighten Eddie out, maybe it'll help. So Tommy Gilbert will remain on as a UWF official and seems to reluctantly support the Cowboy in kicking his son's ass. You know, maybe... Kayfabe wise, you know, Tommy Gilbert's like, well, I couldn't get through to Eddie. Maybe somebody else can, and he might have to get his clock cleaned, but you know, maybe, maybe the cowboy can straighten him out. So obviously embarrassed Tommy Gilbert offering up his resignation. Bill Watts says, I don't want it. If you can stay honest and true in the ring, unbiased as an official, I want you to stay on. Cause you've been great till now. And Tommy Gilbert says, I accept that. And I, I really don't want to see my son's ass get kicked, but he certainly had an attitude as of late, and you know maybe he needs straightened out by somebody, and maybe Cowboy's the man to do it. And I like the fact that they are acknowledging all this because the hardcore fans, the diehard fans, knew that Tommy Gilbert was his dad. Mm-hmm. They teamed together in Memphis, you know, so it'd be kind of an insult to fans to not acknowledge that, you know, much the same as Buzz and Brett, you know, that they would acknowledge that Brett was the brother of Buzz Sawyer. They just had different ring philosophies, you know, and I think that's good that they keep it as real as they can by acknowledging stuff like that. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree. And speaking of Buzz Sawyer, as we roll on, this very well may be his final match on TV. I'm not sure, but it is Ted DiBiase taking on the mad dog himself, Buzz Sawyer. Remember, this was taped prior to the Superdome, though it will air on the day of Buzz Sawyer's final match uh, at the Superdome. So DiBiase going one-on-one with the mad dog and straight away, Tommy Gilbert, is the referee. So you talk about formatting. Tommy Gilbert agrees to keep his job, and then the next segment, he's the referee for the next match. Yeah, it's just a good timing. You know, now's the time to see. It's a good chance to see if Tommy Gilbert is going to be on the up and up and right. straight and narrow. You know, they're putting the spotlight on him just to see, like, okay, is he going to be corrupt or is he going to be legit? You know, because Watt showed some good faith by letting him stay on. Oh, absolutely. You're absolutely right. Now, interestingly, no Rick Steiner here ringside. Of course, Buzz Sawyer on his way out, so they're already moving Rick Steiner away here. As pre-match, DiBiase grabbing the house mic, issuing a challenge to Michael Hayes, issuing a challenge to PS, that stands for Prisisisi, in case you guys were wondering. Uh, But Michael Hayes, he he remains on commentary here. He's not going to get up. Imagine that. As the crowd pops for DiBiase's comments, the mad dog going to attack, but he misses a shoulder charge in the corner and blasts the corner post hard. Teddy then going to work on the arm of Sawyer, but Buzz repeatedly breaking out of the arm bar, showing off some pretty nice moves here, from a high leapfrog to a really sweet-looking suplex. But DiBiase keeps going right back to that arm. Stay on the arm, Teddy. But Buzz going to break free once again. DiBiase trying for a leapfrog, but he's caught midair by the Mad Dog Power Slam. Going to give Sawyer the one, two, but DiBiase kicks out. 
Sawyer then going to follow DiBiase out to the floor, driving him into the steel ring post ringside, and then back inside for a nasty backbreaker, which gets another near fall for the Mad Dog. Buzz then going to work a grounded bear hug down on the mat. Ted slowly fighting his way out, finally escapes, sneaking in an inside cradle and a backslide, both for two counts, but Sawyer then taking it right back to the mat with that bear hug once again. But this time, DiBiase fights his way out back to his feet. Sawyer turns it into a wicked-ass belly-to-belly suplex. I wrote, awesome, Roman. One, two, but DiBiase, damn, what heart. Fighting heart and Ted DiBiase manages to kick out one more time. The Buzz goes for a running headbutt dive, but misses DiBiase out of the way, and it's time to fire up. DiBiase landing a series of jabs here, guys, shooting Buzz into the ropes. Sawyer going to try for a leapfrog, but it's DiBiase this time turning it into a mad dog power slam. How about that? DiBiase using Buzz Sawyer's own move against him and hooking the leg for the one, the two, and the three. The match goes seven minutes and 10 seconds. These two had probably the two best power slams in the business. Agreed. So that, that was something, and they were on display in this match. But uh, as an old school Georgia wrestling fan, this was a dream match. Because when I started watching wrestling, it was DiBiase, Sawyer, all the guys from Georgia, you know. And uh, so I was salivating, like, DiBiase versus Sawyer? This is incredible. And this was a solid match. And the old school wrestling of Sawyer putting on a bear hug on DiBiase and seeing the babyface try to get out of it, and no one chanted boring. No, right. They, yeah, they, they were know, invested they were in the story. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but what a finish. Yeah, just, I, I love the foreshadowing here. And, and they did the, the Mad Dog Power Slam early on with Buzz Sawyer. And yes, DiBiase also has a Power Slam for a finisher. And he too gets to use his, but he uses Buzz's own move against him. Buzz going for the leapfrog and DiBiase outsmarting him using his own little gimmick there to score the win. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. This was a fun match to watch. I'm glad we got to see it from beginning to end. Uh, I wouldn't have been upset if they went longer. You know, if they made no, this right. a... 20-minute TV main event, I would have been happy. But just to see this, like I said, as an old-school Georgia wrestling fan, this was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was perfectly fine for a TV match. Obviously, maybe you'd want a little more action if you were at the arena. But it wasn't It wasn't a bad match by any means. He worked the bear hug on the mat. But like you said, it was over. And DiBiase, he goes over clean for good reason at this point. Sawyer's on his way out. This might be the last time we see Buzz on TV. If it was, fun little match up there. Sawyer, again, I, like I said, finishing up right now at the Superdome this very day, and he's off to Dallas. But it was a great time, man. We got about, what, half a year of Buzz Sawyer. Oh, heck yeah. Heck yeah, you know, and world-class stuff was good. Everywhere he went, with the exception of the WWF, was uh, worth watching. You know, Buzz had a very short stint in the WWF as Bulldog Buzz yeah. Sawyer. Which, which but, is how uh, he got inducted yeah, into the Hall of Fame. Talent. That was ridiculous. Did you see that when they inducted him into their Hall of Fame? He was Bulldog Buzz Sawyer. No, no, but yeah. that's news to me. I didn't know. Wow. That was, it's been a couple so, of years, I, I think. You know, the, the, those posthumous inductions they do, the le, the Legends Wing or whatever they call that, where they just kind of name a few old, right. old, old school guys and, and just kind of mention them in passing. Yeah, but when they announced him, I popped for, for them adding Buzz Sawyer, but they called him Bulldog Buzz Sawyer. <laughs> 
Wow. So I guess it's two TV matches, you know, one against uh, the Tonga kid really, really mm. made him a Hall of Famer in their eyes because, you know, Vince didn't watch other other leagues wrestling. Right, you know, he, right. he knew the names or whatever, but Cornette's talked about that repeatedly. He had no idea about storylines or angles or anything going on in the NWA or any other territory. So, yeah, that is surprising, well, you know, you, that he's, you know the he's story a Hall goes, of Famer. The story goes, and I don't know how true this is, but I, I heard it from some credible sources. That when Sting came in, Vince literally went to some, before they agreed to put him at WrestleMania in the spot he was in, Vince literally went to some of the guys, uh, higher ups and said, is this guy over enough to be in this you know spot? Like he was legitimately asking the question because obviously he knew what, who Sting was by this point in time, Roman, but he really didn't know how high up Sting was, I guess, you know, cause he did not watch the competition. Well, you know, Cornette's talked about it repeatedly, how they had a meeting with Vince, you know, the midnight express. And I mean, we could salivate over, you know, midnight express versus heart foundation matchups or whatever, but yeah, yeah, Vince didn't know really the history of the midnight express. And I'm kind of glad they didn't go up there because I don't think Vince would have used them right. They they, would have been too Southern or too small, you know, and they didn't even know how to use Arn and Tully properly for the long, for the long term anyway. So yeah, I I can imagine how they would have used Bob Eaton and Dennis Condry or or Stan Mm -hmm. Lane. Yeah, yeah, they probably would have jobbed him out, you know, every week. They would have been like, well done, you know, Timothy Well and Stephen Dunn probably, oh, you know, no. oh. jobber to the stars. Well, thank God <laughs> they stuck with Crockett there for, for a while. Uh, we go on with the show, a pre-recorded segment in the ring right now. Jim Ross standing by with a, a lovely young lady who is going to pull the winner's name of the UWF trivia contest out of a uh, fish tank type deal. Uh, the winner to receive the retired North American title belt. As they show off the old North American belt here, not the gigantic one from the last few years, but but the one before it. They say Bill Watts held it for nine years straight. Now, come on, guys, nine years straight. Now, Bill Watts was the champion nine times over like 10 years, but he wasn't champion nine years straight. However, that said, Jim Ross then reveals the answer to the trivia contest. The answer was Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Imagine that. Now, as he explains the answers to the trivia questions here, we hear... Well, he was known as Moose Duggan or Moose at a young age. That was the question number one. He wrestled as the convict early in his career. Now, that's the one I didn't get. I I wasn't aware of that. However, his favorite movie also has a similar title to his favorite match, Coal Miner's Glove. Remember, I thought maybe it was Coal Miner's Daughter. That was where they were going with that. So, yay, I was right. And his favorite move, his wrestling move, has felled many wild animals, that move being the spear. So the answer was, indeed, Jim Duggan. Yeah, see, forget uh, Dick Tracy. We got our Ray Russell. We got our own detective. You were all over this weeks ago. You knew all the clues. Well, I, I got to tell you guys, I, I figured it out immediately. You know, and I don't remember this trivia contest. So it's not like I, I remember this from 10, 20, 30, when it aired, whatever, years ago. I, I literally don't remember this trivia contest. So as we were doing it, I, I told you the moose thing gave it away for me immediately. And knowing it was Duggan helped me figure out a couple of these answers. Otherwise, I don't know that I would even have figured those out. But the convict thing, that's the one that threw me off. I wasn't aware of that one. It was funny. I remember Duggan saying in an interview that when he wrestled as a convict under a mask, he put the letter C all over his mask <laughs> for the convict. And wrestlers go, why do you have ears all over your mask? Because it looked oh. like an ear. You know, they didn't understand the gimmick. <laughs> oh, man, it should have just changed his name to something to do with ears, I guess. But, man, the irony, being the convict as your father is the sheriff of Glens Falls, New York, 
Yeah, yeah. No, no <laughs> doubt. There's definitely some irony there. So supposedly they received over a thousand entries per day for this contest. I highly doubt that, Roman. But only a handful of uh, uh, letters here in the fish tank. And now the young lady pulls a name out at random. The winner of the North American title, the winner of the contest is Nancy Loudon of Chanute, Kansas. And then Jim Ross proceeds to actually read her fucking address on air, Roman. I wrote, what are you doing, JR? Literally said her street, not just her street, her damn address right here on TV. You, you, you have a different way of expressing it, but I have that in my notes. Like I put Ross unbelievably gives her home address in case somebody wanted to go over and steal the belt. There you, you know? go. Like, yeah, why absolutely. would you give the home address? Why? Even if Ross did that live, why didn't they edit that out? Come on, Joel. Yeah, that, that's amazing. You know, li- living here in, in, you know, the gambling capital and it's amazing when somebody wins mega bucks. And they'll give permission for the news to give their name. You know, Fred Smith won a hundred million. Why would you want, why would you want that out there? You know, no, no doubt about it. But I just could not believe even in the eighties, giving out somebody's home address right here in the ring for no reason. There was no reason for it. You know, nowadays, I mean, thank goodness it happened then. Nowadays, she'd probably have 15 people at her doorstep within an hour. You know, like, hey, well, where's she, that belt? Or I'll buy that belt off you or, she, she or try probably, to break in and steal the belt. Yeah, and she'll probably probably get seven, eight figures from Bill Watts, too, for the lawsuit that, that follows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, that was something. I'm, I'm glad, uh, glad, you, glad you mentioned that. I couldn't believe when I heard that. I'm like, did he really just give her home? Not the, not just the state, but the home address. I'm surprised right. didn't give everybody her PIN number. Wow. Well, we'll actually get to see this young lady here. She's going to be presented the title, I think, in a couple weeks here on TV. So we'll see her again here. on U- or We'll actually see her for the first time here in a couple weeks. Maybe by then she'll have moved or something, hopefully. And so we head off to the <laughs> main event here today on the program. It's the UWF Tag Team Champions, Tommy Rogers and Bobby Fulton, the Fantastics, taking on their arch nemesis, the, the foes of all foes, Luke and Butch, champions in 37, 49, 58 countries by this point. The Sheep Herders on the other side, Jack Victory in their corner. So this feud's been going on for a while, and we get a title match here on TV. And there may be people wondering, well, why do they keep putting these, these two teams on TV? Or why do they keep sh-? Because they're good. You know, they're good. People still cared. So it wasn't like, oh, we've seen Fantastic Sheep Herders. I mean, people still had an interest in what was going on. And then the fact you factor in that the tag team championship, you know, so, I mean, this is a great, great match to put on free TV. Yeah. And the feud is kind of winding down here with barbed wire cage matches and things around the horn going on right now. But yeah, I'm not arguing seeing this matchup on TV as we get referee Carl Fergie in there. And during the intros, it looks like Butch is already bleeding from all those barbed wire matches. He's bleeding from his head as he enters the ring. So yeah, eating sardines sounds better all the time, Roman. Yeah, no doubt. And, uh, you know, I, I think when I cut myself shaving, you know, and then you go shave a few days later and you reopen the cut. So mm-hmm. imagine these guys wrestling night after night and having barbed wire put into your arm, your face, your head. You know, they, they didn't have a chance to heal because no. back then you, you worked all the time. Right. So Butch already bleeding when he enters the ring. And then Luke and Bobby Fulton also bandaged up here as we get going. And we get that entrance from the Fantastics here. You guys know the one I'm talking about, the one at always guarantees us we're not getting a finish here today on television, which is why they almost always close the show here on UWF TV. And I clock this entrance in at a whopping three minutes. Wow. But, but once they do enter the ring, Roman, I'll give them credit. They are not playing around, not waiting for the herders to attack. It's the fantastics 
who pounced the challengers, and the match is on as the sheep herders sent out to the floor. And then their music starts again as we take a commercial break. My note here was, what is this, raw? <laughs> and, and you know, you mentioned the Fantastics. With the head bandages, you know, like they they matched, you know, matching trunks, matching top hats. They had matching head bandages. That's something that popped out at me, you know, like, <laughs> wow, they, they both were bleeding from the head at, at some point and had to put bandages on, you know, from, from previous wars. Yeah, so we get their entrance, they clear the ring, and then they play their music again. They play it into commercial break here. But back from break, the action is hot and heavy with Rogers sending Butch outside the ring again. Then it's Luke and Bobby Fulton's turn in the ring. The Fantastics then begin using quick tags, some double-team moves here to maintain control of Sheep Herder Luke. Now, eventually, Roger's going to miss a car- charge in the corner. He lands in that X-Pac Bronco Buster type position, going crotch first into that middle buckle. And now the Herder's finally going to take control all over Tommy Rogers. That is until Luke finally telegraphing a backdrop of his own and Rogers countering with a nice knee lift as Jim Ross informs us. We only have two minutes of time left here on the program. I wrote, "Uh uh-oh, here we go. Back to this, Roman. As Rogers gets the hot tag out to Bobby Fulton, but things quickly break down into a four-way melee. And wait a minute. There's clearly a major edit here in the video, Roman. I don't know if you caught this. As we see Fulton and Luke duking it out in the corner, Tommy Rogers dropkicking Butch from the ring, but it pans to the crowd for absolutely no reason whatsoever for about four or five seconds. Then we cut back to the ring. Not only is the crowd noise at a different level, but Bobby Fulton now laid out on the mat, Luke standing on the top rope, and Butch standing on the apron. So definitely an edit there. Very odd. Not good. Joel Watts is dropping the ball all over this episode. Meanwhile, it's referee Carl Fergie ushering Tommy Rogers back to the corner as Luke illegally comes off the top rope with a splash. But he lands on the knees of Bobby Fulton. And then it's back to yet another four-way melee. And again, they get it right this time, I guess. Tommy Rogers again dropkicking Butch from the ring. And this time, Luke also backdrops Fulton over the top rope as well, which is usually a disqualification. But Carl Fergie misses it here, Roman. And then the Herders going to spike pile drive Bobby Fulton out on the floor. I wrote, holy shit. You don't see that every week on TV. No, back then that was not something you saw a lot of. So that was definitely an important part of the match. Yeah, blew my mind when they did it to Tibiasi after the three pile drivers back in '81 Georgia. That was that was pretty much overkill in any era, by by my opinion, anyway. But here, even even in '86, you did did not see that every week. Uh, a spike pile driver was bad enough, but one on the the concrete floor. Wow, that was something else. And remember, they'd already tossed him over the top rope prior to this. So two illegal moves in the row, and it has Bobby out cold as Luke rolls him back inside to score the one, two. Three, match goes six minutes and 41 seconds, and it appears we've got new UWF Tag Team Champions. Once again, two weeks in a row, Roman, uh, to close the show, a title change, perhaps. It's exciting when you can see a title change on TV, and uh, I'll let you take it from here. Sure, so two weeks in a row, we saw Terry Taylor capture the TV title. The credits are rolling. We're almost out of time, and it seems to happen again here this week. This is going to be a common a thing now, but the Herders, they grab the belts. They begin to celebrate ringside as we cut to Jim Ross and Michael Hayes to close the show. So this seems definitive at this point, Roman. We got new champions. But wait, something going on behind the announcers. What's going on at ringside? Referee Tommy Gilbert out there, and he informs Carl Fergie of the illegal maneuvers from the Sheep Herders. The over-the-top rope toss on Bobby Fulton, and then the double-team pile driver outside on the floor. 
So Carl Fergie, going to take his brethren officials' word for it, going to reverse the decision here, disqualifying the Sheepherders, thus returning the belts to the Fantastics. And if you're a fan sitting at home watching this, you are ecstatic because the baby faces got to keep the belts. You know, you, you go from feeling down like, oh, man, our guys just lost to the evil foreigners and to, yes, we still got our champions, you know. So what a, the way the pendulum swung on that and the fact that the Sheepherders did three illegal things in like less than two minutes, you know, coming off the top rope throwing a fantastic over the top rope and then the brutal spike pile driver, which like we alluded to was not something you saw a lot back then. You know, the, the pile driver was a devastating hold back then. It's not like today where they kick out all the time. And when I saw that, I kind of had flashbacks of savage pile driving Ricky Morton on the table on those wrestling gold commercials, you know, right. like, Whoa, he oh, just I gotta get this tape. Yeah, I gotta get this tape. Yes, exactly. Well, what else is on there? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, I tell you what, man, uh, I, in 1986, me, I could see the Sheepherders going over here with the belts, my heart drop, and I'm just bummed as the show comes to a conclusion. And then they, they swerved us, bro, and they give the belts back to the Fantastics, and all of a sudden, a sigh of relief comes over me, and I can go outside and ride my bike or whatever I was going to go do. So I'm happy <laughs> now. That the titles are returned to the Fantastics, thank God, as the show comes to a conclusion. I loved it. But you know what was great, too, was that, you know, the average fan and, you know, even the serious hardcore fans will tell you a lot of times that wrestling is predictable, you know, and this era was fun because Watts would make it unpredictable. I mean, you think you're seeing the champions lose and and you're upset and then, bam, they got the belts back and a ref's decision was reversed. And, you know, I, I put in my notes here, it was almost like a minor Tommy Gilbert's babyface push, so to speak. Yeah. You know, he's he was kind of the focus of, of this episode with the, you know, Eddie needs to be taught a lesson type of thing. I don't want to be a, a referee anymore, you know, and because of Eddie Gilbert's actions and then him reversing the decision. It was almost like they were giving Tommy Gilbert a little babyface push in this episode. Oh, yeah, I, I could see that here as a babyface referee. If you, we, we want our referees to be babyfaces because if they're not, that means they're heels. But um, yeah, not even though this was all about continuing the the tag team title feud because they got those big barbed wire matches going on right now. I thought this was also done to get over Tommy Gilbert. Uh, he can be a trusted, impartial official as he rats out the heel tag team here. It makes him that baby face, like you said. Now I would have liked it more had it been Eddie Gilbert and his Blade Runners out here, kind of screwing over his own son. But but the wrestling, right? But the wrestling was no doubt better here with the Sheepherders in the ring, obviously. And just in general, this episode, you know, that you see Sawyer versus DiBiase and Fantastics versus Sheepherders, and it's on free TV. This was just a great episode, you know, right. to mm-hmm. to see two legit, legit main events on TV for free. Just what a great time to be a fan. With finishes. Yes. Yes. And, and not the, you know, like you said, with finishes, not, not 30 seconds, you know, like you got to see enough to kind of whet your appetite. Oh yeah, absolutely. Now that, you know, before we continue on, I I just want to add one more thing about that tag title matchup. Now there's a way you can get the guys that are feuding on TV for a title in a title match on your television program and still continue the feud and have, have the fans wanting to come watch the matchup live, even though they just watched it on television. Yeah. You know, I mean, the Sheepherders lost this match, but if they put it on TV again the next week, people are still going to watch. People are still going to come to the arena. You know, it's not like 
today where so many, you hear the stories of the wrestler, well, I don't want to lose to this guy. It'll make me look weak or whatever. You know, like the Sheepherders could have lost three weeks in a row. And the fourth week, people would still want to see the Fantastics and Sheepherders. I think the story here, deep down, if we can figure it out as fans, is the Sheepherders cheated here this week, and it took a second referee to overturn this. Now, on the house shows, all these other matches, barbed wire, street fights, boot camps, there are no rules. So they could very well win those matches when they cheat. So we could see a title change and, again, makes you want to come out and watch the show. And let's not forget, Sheepherders were champions in uh, 312 countries. Oh, is that, is that where we are now? There's 312 countries. Well, there might be by this point. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't remember my geography that well. As we continue on, now, there's no Power Pro this week. I'm sure it aired, but I do not have this episode, unfortunately, guys. Now, that's un- I, I don't know if that's the first time that's happened since we started here in 86, but if it isn't, it's been a long time since we were missing an episode of Power Pro, but unfortunately, I am missing this particular episode. I apologize, guys. Luckily, it's usually just throwback matches, so I don't think we missed a whole lot. As uh, we roll on to June the 21st, UWF Television, taped back June the 8th, Tulsa Convention Center. It's Jim Ross and Captain Frank Dusick going to open the show this week. Good to see old Dusick back again. Yeah, yeah. Dusick was a, was a good asset to have. You know, if you can't have DiBiase and Taylor, Dusick was a, was a nice replacement. Yeah, he's no Michael Hayes, but, but, you know, he's not bad. Or DiBiase and Hayes, rather. I know I said Taylor, but yeah, DiBiase and Hayes. So we kick off the show this week. A clip from last week, the Tommy Gilbert convincing Carl Fergie deal to reverse the decision in that Fantastics match so they keep the belts, and I, for one, as a kid, was happy. As we learn, the Sheep Herders are upset at the decision and have some words for the champions, as well as Tommy Gilbert. They say the Fantastics have done it again. The Herders had the match won fair and square, might. Uh, in the middle of the ring, they say, where a bloody yank referee took the belts away. So the Herders, tired of playing games, Roman, and they're declaring war. Wait, they're declaring war just now? I wrote, what have they been doing up until now? Combat training? <laughs> and something else about that match, too, you know, that we, we didn't talk about with the involvement of Jack Victory. You know, that, that helps him get a little more heat, too, oh, yeah, you know, which, yeah, was, sure. which was good for his character. Yeah, victory's still ringside. Victory's still the flag bearer for now for the Sheep Herders, definitely. The only thing that really stuck out to me in this promo, other than, you know, we mean business now, which is kind of funny. They've been feuding for months and all these bloody, right. bloody matches. Oh, no, no more, no more playing around, mate. Uh, but they refer to the Fantastics as Yankee scumbags. That just made me chuckle. Yeah. Yankee scumbags. <laughs> yeah, sheep herders could find a way to get under people's skin, you know, with their little comments and their anti-American propaganda. So show goes on. Frank Dusick out here. He wants to put over the recent UWF fundraising events. It seems like Frank has his hand in the fundraising area of the promotion. They continue to put that over weekly here on the program right now. And then it's off to the ring for television champion Terry Taylor. Continuing on, Buzz Sawyer now gone. Taylor looking ahead, and his next challenge is Freebird Buddy Roberts with Michael Hayes at ringside. So that explains where Pure Sexy is. He's out here to accompany Buddy. Hayes was out there, too, for Terry Gordy all throughout that tournament, so... Taylor better watch out here. And what a head of hair on Buddy Roberts here, I noticed. Uh, maybe the longest it ever got, but I love it on him. As it's hard watching Terry Taylor come out here wearing these red trunks. Now, I know he's not the rooster here, guys, but there's this vibe that just, it, it's embedded in my brain forever. Yeah, you'll always think of him in the red trunks and the crowing and, and all that. But just on a side note, Terry Taylor versus Buddy Roberts, and it's on TV. Like, they keep delivering the matches we want to see. Yeah, yeah, no no doubt about it. If you're just going to give me a match on t- a television title on the line, title match every week lately, and, and I am not complaining. As early on, Buddy Roberts, he shows Terry Taylor up with a nice drop kick, but Terry comes right back 
with a trifecta of dropkicks of his own, the last one sending Buddy out over the top rope and onto the floor where Roberts, he actually cracks the back of his head on the concrete and busts it open hard way. Yeah, to see him bleed from the back of the head is not something any of us fans were accustomed to seeing a wrestler bleed from there, so you knew it was the hard way. And But to Buddy's credit, he's back up and back in the ring pretty damn quickly here as uh, his blonde hair slowly turns a crimson, Roman, as Buddy ties Taylor in the tree of woe in the corner, Robert stomping away and then delivering a nasty knee drop down into the chin area. I love that. He had Terry Taylor upside down in the corner and then knee drops him under the chin, just nasty. He hit him in the tree with the tree of woes. He was in the tree of woes. Tree of woe, baby. Going to the pay window. And, uh, yeah, but uh, this this is uh, pretty good stuff here, Terry Taylor and Buddy Roberts, as they continue on. A good wrestling match. As Taylor, though, he comes right back, puts Buddy in the trio of woe as well, and now it's Roberts' turn to get stomped down by the TV champion. Great bumping and selling here from Buddy as usual. Terry, though, going to telegraph a backdrop. Buddy landing a swinging neckbreaker, getting himself a two-count. As Roberts' hair, the now the back of his head, completely covered in blood, perhaps he is the Red Rooster. No. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> crickets okay buddy buddy off the off the middle rope with a standing elbow another near fall by the Freebird here as robert's going to connect with the suplex but taylor going to reverse a second one here and terry taylor back on top delivering an inside cradle the same movie beat buzz sawyer to win the title with which deuce it calls an oklahoma hayride i don't know if you heard that he referred to the inside yeah. cradle as an oklahoma hayride I had never heard that term before, and I'm like, am I missing something? <laughs> I don't know. You know, maybe in Oklahoma it was always called that. I've never heard that term before. Yeah, I don't know if Danny Williams called it that back in the day on commentary. I'm not sure either. But in my notes, I wrote, well, that was new. Never heard that one before, an Oklahoma hayride. Well, we got the uh, the Oklahoma roll. Now it's an Oklahoma hayride, I suppose, here. Either way, it gets a two-count, guys. As Buddy Roberts going to try for a pile driver, but Terry will counter with a backdrop. And Michael Hayes up on the apron, wouldn't you know it. Terry, though, going to deck Mr. Pule Sexy, but Buddy Roberts from behind, reverse rolling cradle. One, two, but Taylor kicks Buddy off, just as Michael Hayes is trying to enter the ring. And Roberts sent into fellow bird Michael, and thus the birds will collide. Feathers go flying, guys and Buddy Roberts stumbling back into a Terry Taylor schoolboy, getting the one, two, three. Terry Taylor will retain as we get a pinfall here over Freebird on TV. Match goes six minutes and four seconds. And something that I wanted to give credit to was Buddy Roberts threw a really nice drop kick early he on did. in this match. Didn't see it coming either. And yeah, I've never seen him have that in his bag of tricks, a nice drop kick like that. And I was like, whoa, you know, that was impressive. And this was nice to see this as an opener because you knew we were going to see a finish. We weren't going to see the credits rolling or anything. You expected this to be a good match and it was, and the crimson flowing unexpectedly was like, Whoa, not expecting to see that on a, on a TV match that uh, these two weren't bitter rivals. You know, right. it wasn't like a snook, a Piper type thing or anything yet. And to see crimson flowing and it was just a good contest. You know, it was a good way to, kick off the show this week yeah, buddy cracks his head open 30 seconds into the matchup and then goes on to work the entire match kudos to him there but you know watching this as a fan back in the day i'm assuming the average fan might be thinking here well terry gordy has the heavyweight title maybe they're going to try to take over all the belts so maybe buddy wins the belt here also you might be thinking well michael hayes is ringside so disqualification but no terry taylor scores the win over the freebirds who have been getting pushed to the moon lately and buddy roberts got to do a job right in the middle of the ring yeah, and it didn't 
hurt their credibility no. at all. You know, no. like it, it's just it's such a different time back then. You can lose and still be over with the fans, or fans would still want to see you. You know, if it's done right, you can still you can still lose on TV and not have it kill your career. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I totally agree. Just got to trust the booking. And certainly trust Bill Watts mm-hmm. as uh, we come back from break. Michael Hayes out here replacing Frank Dusick on commentary. So a bit of an upgrade, I'll have to say. As from there, we get highlights from the Superdome, June the 14th. Highlights of the NWA champion, Ric Flair, taking on Ricky Morton. Uh, no finish shown there, so I wrote boo. We also see highlights of the Coco Ware jack victory matchup, the Dark Journey Maxine fight afterwards. Kamala, once again, taking on Missing Link here in the segment. Uh, we see the brawl afterwards with Jim Duggan and One Man Gang getting involved. Also, a little bit of the Fantastic Sheep Herders boot camp match, but no finish shown. Uh, it was dubbed too violent to air here, yet somehow they air the barbed wire cage match on TV. Yeah, I was not real happy with the, let's just show a real brief snippet and say it was too violent, you know? Like, that's one of the things that infuriates you as a fan, you <laughs> it's know, a, to just it's the cheap get way out. teased like that. Yeah, yeah sure exactly. If you expect me to believe the boot camp match was more violent than a barbed wire cage match, I don't know. I'd have to really see it to, to be the judge, I suppose. That must be a hell of a boot camp match. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we've already seen people bleed on TV. We've seen people pile draw, you know. They, so it wasn't like they weren't exposing us to hardcore-type angles or whatever. So I, like, I just makes you wonder how violent was it that they couldn't show it. Yeah, they, they sell it hard anyway. As we go off right now, guys, to our first localized promos this week on the program, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and the Centroplex coming June the 24th. It's the Summer Spectacular 86, the final confrontation, a barbed wire cage match between the Sheepherders and Fantastics, plus six-man street fight. Going to see the Blade Runners and Korchenko take on the trio of Bill Watts, Dr. Death Steve Williams, and Coco Beware. And right now we're going to hear from Eddie Gilbert talking about his trio. And on the other side, we're going to hear from Bill Watts coming from his driveway good morning everybody i'm jim ross thank you very much for staying with us here on wbrz great hour in store for you we do appreciate you being with us here on this great television station super card coming your way this tuesday night it's our summer spectacular 86 i want to remind you the tickets are on sale at all selected seat outlets that does include the centerplex box office tickets starting at five dollars with a super card one of the biggest cards of the year summer spectacular 86 the final confrontation for the fantastics and the sheep herders it will be the UWF Tag Team titles on the line inside a barbed wire cage. And you heard that right. We'll talk about that in the hour. Six men come dressed as you are. Lights out, no rules, anything goes. Louisiana street fight. Corsita Korchenko and the Blade Runners against Cowboy Bill Watts, Dr. S.D. Williams, and Coco Beware. Plus, Ted DiBiase goes against Terry Gordy for the UWF Heavyweight Championship. There's a whole lot more to tell you about. We'll do that in this hour. But now, listen to this. Oh, yeah. Everybody all around the Universal Wrestling Federation are joining forces. And who are they coming after? None other than Hot Stuff International because Cowboy Bill Watts has been hurt, has been disgraced on national television. So now they all want to get together. Dr. Death, Coco Beware, and none other than Cowboy Bill Watts. They want to put their street fighting calls on. They want to come into the ring with the flavors and Corchico. Well, that's fine. Come on in, boys. Because at the end, Bill Watts, your butt is going to be mine, buddy. Eddie Gilbert, you can run, but you can't hide. And you've done it, buddy. You've done it, but you made a mistake. You didn't finish me off. Now, let me tell you, in Louisiana, there's some different things happening. You know, like crawfish, sucking heads off of crawfish. They still got people that 
raised pit bulldogs. They still got people to do a little chicken fighting. Even their laws are different than the rest of the country. That's why in Louisiana they understand one thing. Street fight! No rules. No regulations. It's simple. Who gets there first with the most? Now, you've got a lot with those big Blade Runners and that big Russian, Kachenko. But I got a lot with Dr. Death, Steve Williams. That Coco's beware. And I'm burning inside. I'm burning inside. But I want to make it clear. No rules. Who gets there first with the most? Take no prisoners. And Eddie Gilbert, somewhere, I will get a hold of you, paint you red, and bite a hunk out of you. It's all going to happen this Tuesday night. Baton Rouge Centerplex Summer Spectacular 86. Tickets on sale now at all select the seat outlets. It's Grizzly Smith's first event as a new Baton Rouge promoter. One of the biggest cards of all time. We'll tell you more in the hour. So there it is. Eddie rocking that Roddy Piper promo delivery as of late on these localized promos. Doing his best Roddy Piper impersonation. Meanwhile, Bill Watts says Louisiana has its own laws separate from the rest of the country. Trying to put it over here. And one of the examples he uses is they still have chicken fighting here. I wrote, mm-hmm. Now, I'm curious. Were you at all surprised that Coco was part of that six man? It caught me off Somehow guard. It just didn't seem to fit. Yeah. No, yeah. It caught me off guard, but I think, you know, I don't know the rest of the card. I think that might be where DiBiase's working Gordy. So they can't slide him in there. I don't know what Taylor's doing. So I guess, you know, he was the next man up was my guess anyway. Yeah. It, it just seemed weird to hear. I'm like, and Coco, you yeah, know, Coco yeah. was a good talent, but he just didn't really seem to fit that. Well, that to be fair, Korchenko's on the other side. So anything's an upgrade from that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, but there it was, Bill Watts standing in his drive. He's got a lot of use out of his house as of late. He's in the, the gym. He's out in the driveway. He's in the trunk of his car. Lots of uh, localized pro- local promos for for the cowboy. He doesn't doesn't even have to leave his home. Hey, Joel, go get the camera. Yeah, very very convenient. You know, when you can just uh, w- open your front door and go out and cut a promo. And this event upcoming this Tuesday night, they bill it as Grizzly Smith's first event as the new Baton Rouge promoter. That was kind of odd. A lot of people at that time probably didn't fully understand like the role of Grizzly Smith and just to kind of hype it that way I thought was odd too. Yeah, and they probably didn't understand that there are other mini promoters inside the promotion, a lot of these bigger promotions, like even Vince had the, the promoters for the certain states or cities and whatnot for quite a while there in the WWF. And here, you know, obviously Grizzly going to do Baton Rouge, I guess, as part of the UWF, but I, it was a little confusing, I'm sure, for fans at the point. I, it would have confused the hell out of me. Yeah, and it's not something I don't think the average fan would be like, oh, Grizzly Smith's involved. I got to sh- I gotta show up. Well, you know that was you Grizz. Know, you know that was Grizz point. telling Bill Watts, yeah, I'll take over that city, but, you know, put my name out there. You know, got to get my name on TV. Right. <laughs> yeah, you know that's exactly what it was, Roman. That very well could be. Very All well. Right. All right. Program goes on. Oh, boy. Here we go. Dark Journey's mystery man time, guys. As Gustavo Mendoza standing in the ring, Dark Journey showing up ringside, and she takes the mic. First of all, Journey wants to address to everybody. She wants them to know that Michael Hayes is a liar. You're a lawyer. She never wrote him an apology letter. She wouldn't waste her 22 cent stamp to send him a letter to a sissy like Hayes. 22 cent stamps. Wow, it's been quite a while, huh? Yeah, that definitely dated the the time back then. It's you know, it's like, you know well, I would I wouldn't put a dime in, in the phone and then call you or you know something like that. It definitely <laughs> right. dated the times for sure. So now it's on to business. Now that she's addressed Michael Hayes, the letter is not real. That's what we suspected. Jack Victory and Maxine have continued to screw with Journey, ordering her to find a man to help her fight in her battles. Well, she's apparently finally found one, Roman. Although she says you might not want to call him a man. But he's definitely going to 
bang your head. One, two, three, As Journey begins to head up the aisle to meet her man as the quiet riot song blares over the loudspeakers, and her man indeed is the Missing Link. The Missing Link is Journey's mystery man. Link enters the ring as Gustavo attacks, but Link, no selling the offense, begins tearing into Mendoza, tearing him down with a variety of headbutt maneuvers, as only he can do, before delivering an awesome-looking front power slam, which Hayes puts over here on commentary as his finisher. And then the Link leaping up to the middle rope, grabbing hold of his hair, and then driving his own head down, diving headbutt into Mendoza, going to score the 1-2-3 in just 49 seconds. The missing Link has arrived. Jack Victory, beware. And the music, you know, was so appropriate for so him, yes. you know, like it worked. Yeah. That, that song really fit him, you know, the bang your head and you know, I'm, I'm a rocker. I always liked hearing that song and it got me fired up to, to hear it and then see him come out. And, uh, it, it was fun back then because not everybody had theme music. So to right. hear something like that was, was really cool. And like you said, it was very appropriate and just the, the music itself, man, it just, you just got into it. Right. As Missing Link comes out, I, I wanted to be a part of that locker room. See who came up with that. Hey, man, I just heard a song. This is perfect for your gimmick. And they go with it, obviously. And it, it worked. It worked for the Link character for sure. Oh, yeah. There was perfect fit. And then, uh, you know, it was nice to have Dark Journey with them. Obviously, that way Link didn't have to talk. The fact he's associated with her is going to put him over as a baby face. I love the look. I love the character. And nobody threw a headbutt quite like the Missing Link. That's for sure. No, and it and it looked like it hurt, you know. And I yes, talked earlier about his I'm... physique. I mean, th- this was a you know two hundred and sixty pound man that's ripped to shreds, hitting you like a battering ram. You know, it looked right. like it hurt. Oh yeah, <laughs> I have no doubt. A few of those were a little snug for sure. The missing links here, and he, he has arrived, and we're going to be seeing him quite a bit here on TV. And I, for one, am looking forward to it. One of my favorite characters of uh, wrestling history back in the nineteen eighties. So I'm marking out for it as uh, we go along. But right now we're off to a devastation incorporated feature. Here is Skandor Akbar going to talk about his men, the one man gang and the mighty Kamala as we see them equally dangerous in singles and tag team competition. So we're getting a feature each week recently. It seems it was Terry Gordy last week, devastation incorporated this week. Yeah. That's a great way to showcase the talent, you know, by doing a proper video to enhance their their devastation you know pardon the pun of devastation incorporated and you had talked about on one of our previous podcasts about one man gang kamala teaming and you know how you would have liked to see more of it and you know here it's a it's a brief match but it it was kind of cool to see one man gang kamala because they were two of the legit heavyweights back then oh for sure you know and as good as the production was you know back then I mean, just some of these music videos that Joel Watts has come out with, they've been great and things of that nature. But these these features, obviously, they felt like a Joel Watts idea, too. You know, he's like, hey, I can do these little features, throw these videos together, put these guys over and, and, you know, and make it a package. 
maybe Joel gave this idea. I'm not, I wasn't there. I have no idea, but certainly he excels in these type of things. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the certain video at the certain, and, and with the certain music too, Yeah, you know, like sure. I, I always liked when they Freeze would show the free birds and they would play, well, yeah, when they would show <laughs> the free birds with boys are back in town, you know, when they would come back in and they would show a musical video of that, you know, it's like, yeah, the right song with the right highlights can definitely enhance the talent. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Sorry. I was having flashbacks to Memphis. Just saw a Terry Taylor freeze frame video Memphis 85 <laughs> the other day, Roman. I apologize for that. So we, I was just putting over Joel Watts and his production quality here, but unfortunately a lot of the local promos, they sound like they're being filmed in garages, lots of echoing. Sometimes it's really hard to hear the guy, at least here on just audio format. So I'm skipping these guys, these upcoming ones here, but I encourage you if you want to go check these out, they're right now up on my YouTube channel. Uh, local promos, again, for the Centroplex. Upcoming, Terry Gordy going to defend his UWF title against Ted DiBiase. So we, you can actually hear promos from both sides of that, as well as that winner-take-all barbed wire cage match. The Sheep Herder is going to cut a promo there against the tag team champion, Fantastic. So there are more promos here on this episode of UWF TV if you guys want to go listen to them now. I didn't play them here for you simply because they're a little hard to hear. They're, they're Like I said, it feels like they're in a warehouse somewhere, so I'm just a, a echo uh, in the background. Yeah, the the acoustics weren't good. I, I thought the same thing, but you know, it's funny how the acoustics were always okay when Bill Watts was cutting a promo. You know, maybe maybe they should have went to his front lawn and cut all the promos. <laughs> cut there. all the promos. Well, they cut all the 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 Memphis promos in the back lawn of Jerry Jarrett. Why not the front yard of Bill Watts? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, Watts never came out muffled. You know, he hates Russia. <laughs> yeah, let's do it in the gym. Do it in my my home gym. There you go. Mm. <laughs> uh, we go on we saw a little feature there on devastation inc and now it's tag team action with kamala and the one-man gang skandor akbar in their corner taking on ken massey and brett wayne sawyer as here it is devastation inc tag team of sorts the gang and kamala as brett wayne using some speed early on to avoid kamala but that doesn't last too long and ken massey then gonna tag in eats a kamala thrust kick and the gang in for the 747 splash the heels getting the win in just 58 seconds, as it should be. What a combo. Yeah, they just steamrolled over the competition this week, you know, and I guess part of the reason, maybe, I don't know, like if you had kept these two together, they would have been like an unstoppable force. Yeah, and it's... the thing is, you can't put the belts on them because then you got to take it off of them. And I don't know how much the fans would have believed, like the Fantastics beating a team like no, One Man no. Gang and Kamala. Just from the visual aspect, you no, know, you would, like, you would need wrestling a, wise, a combination of like Doc DiBiase, Doug, and something like that. Yes, yeah, that, that's the thing, you know. That's when you know. I remember back in the day, people would be like, "Andre's so great. Why don't they put the title on him?" Well, now, now you got to find a way to get it off of him, right? You know, yeah, and it's sure. kind of the same thing with One Man Gang and Kamala. They were so overwhelmingly, uh, the word of it, they were, they were just gargantuan. You know, they yeah. were so much bigger than everybody else. It would have been hard to picture them losing to a. 220, 230 pound Tommy Rogers. No, I like the word you use there. Overwhelming because that's what it is. That's what I don't really like this team. And I'm not saying that because I don't like the gang or Kamala. I love both guys, but putting them together, it's just too much. And now if you want to do it and have them, like I said, stick them in there and have them work doc and DiBiase, have them feud with them for a couple of months. Okay. That's fine. But to use them as an actual tag team, you're wasting their talent. Right. Just yeah, it's kind of like a like a Hogan and Warrior, you know, yeah. back in the day. Like, it's one thing to team them once in a blue moon on a on a Saturday Night's Main Event or something, but you couldn't have them as a regular tag team. It, no. it just wouldn't have worked. Yeah, there's no reason to do it when these guys can offer you two great matches on a show instead of one. Exactly. 
So you got to think, though, with the gang teaming with Kamala here, maybe this is where Akeem, you know, Akeem came about, right? He found his roots here when he was teaming with Kamala. That very well could be, you know. That, uh, it's always nice when that. somebody finds their roots. Have yeah. to ask him that at the GrappleCon. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I just wanted to say, if you don't mind, Ray, like sure. anybody that that's listening, feel free to come up to me and say hello if you see my name. Like, I love meeting the fans at conventions and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I look forward to going, you know, to Barry Rose GrappleCon, and it's always fun to meet people. So if you see my, my name badge, you know, and you're listening, don't be shy. Say hi. I, lo- I love to talk wrestling and find out how people got interested in wrestling and where they're from. And it's always nice to meet fans that I've never met before. Well, I'll, I'll double down on that, and I'll say ditto for me as well, Roman. I just ask anybody who wants to come up to me and speak, please purchase me an alcoholic beverage on the way. So it's not <laughs> mandatory, but it was, it's appreciated. that's that's where we're at as uh, the program goes on it's the bird man coco beware taking on the shadow so we get to see him again here so even the ring announcer doing the bird this week with coco uh but no frankie yet not till he gets to vince land uh back and forth in the matchup early on from both guys good bumping once again from the mask man who clearly knows what he's doing in there roman but coco gonna fake a reverse body block the shadow going down fakes him out back up landing a missile drop kick to the face coco beware pinning the mask man the shadow from the Orient, sayonara, as the Birdman scores the win, one minute and 43 seconds. You know, I had mentioned that back then, not everybody had their own theme music, and Coco was a mid-carter, but he really milked and knew how to get the most out of his theme music, and like you mentioned, he got the ring announcer to do the bird. Yeah, you know, yeah. like he, there was an energy when he came to the ring. It wasn't quite the entrance of the Fantastics per se, but Coco went around the ring and had everybody do the bird and dancing. And it was a good time when Coco yeah, he got, came he out. Got people invested in that character and he gets to bring that music over with him to WWF in a world again, where not everybody had a, had a theme music at that point in time in the world wrestling federation. And again, Coco was at best a mid Carter, but you know, he, he really worked it well. And he hit that impressive drop kick, which That's he was known impressive. for, Oh yeah, you know, and, and he, he nailed it and got the victory. Sadly, this marks the end of the one-off TV taping appearance of The Shadow here. So we got to see him against Dr. Death and then The Birdman. And he would have made a great full-time preliminary guy, I thought. I would have kept him around if I was Bill. Yeah, now you've kind of intrigued me a little bit. Now I'm going to have to uh, do a little research and see what I can come up with on The Shadow because I want to know a little bit more about him. Because, yeah, uh-huh. he did do a good job the the brief times we saw him. Yeah, do some digging, Roman. And everybody out there do a little digging, too. And again, I'm sure there's some super Mid-South fans out there that knew a little, know a little more than us behind the scenes that maybe keep up with even every little aspect, including who this shadow may have been. I'm very, very curious to that. So if you guys know out there, send us a DM, send it on Facebook, send it on Twitter, do whatever you want to do. Just let us know. I'm very, very curious. This guy is clearly, he knows his stuff. You know, and, and that that's something I like about working with you, Ray, is that we both have the knowledge to want to learn more, you know, like it's interesting to hear backstories and things we didn't know. I don't know much about the shadow and I'd like to know more, you know, that, that's, that's cool that uh, you're the same way in that yeah. regard. Oh yeah, for sure. I would love to know, you know, who that was because he was pretty damn talented. I I'm honestly surprised Bill Watts had a, had a knack for keeping talent around even in the prelims. And I'm, I'm kind of surprised he didn't stick around longer than one TV taping, but who knows? Uh, we're going to go on, guys. One more matchup this week. We've seen TV titles on the line. We've seen tag titles on the line in recent weeks. This week, we get a good shot of the UWF champion, the heavyweight champion, Terry Gordy, coming out. And I'm sure it's non-title, but still, we get the UWF champion in action right here on TV as he takes on rookie Jeff Gaylord. And I wrote, okay, this time, it's not a six-man tag. 
Gaylord finally has to wrestle. And what a debut match. Yeah, I was going to say, he did such a good job of standing on the ring apron that they put him in the ring with the heavyweight champion. (laughs) Like, how does that work? Two weeks in a row, Jeff Gaylord out for six-man tags. Two weeks in a row, never gets tagged in. Now, it's not his fault, but it's kind of funny. But here, it's one-on-one, so we'll see what happens as the champion, Terry Gordy, making his way out as the camera shoots upwards, uh, down on the ground, shooting up at Terry Gordy to make him look even bigger than he already is, as Gordy is out here alone. Michael Hayes confident that he can beat the rookie Jeff Gaylord, so P.S. going to remain on commentary for this one. But before the match can begin, Hack saw Jim Duggan appears ringside. Just nine days after his injury, this was taped, as the doctors forcing him to take two weeks off, says Duggan, but to hell with the doctors. We see Duggan's head has been shaved where his gash was. Did you catch the, the big wide opening shaved area of his head where the gash was? Yeah, yeah, I noticed that. That's kind of... Kind of gross, but uh, yeah, it's the things you got to do when you have some serious sewing to do. Yeah, and that was, man, one of the nastier gashes you'll ever see in wrestling. Yeah, for sure. Well, you got to keep all the hair out of there, of course. You don't want it to get infected or anything. So Hacksaw, it's not a comb over, but his hair is long enough that it's kind of covering it a little bit here, trying to hide it. But it's there, guys. Go check it out. Is Hacksaw going to take the house, Mike? He talks the one-man gang and Michael Hayes aiding Terry Gordy in the win in the finals of the UWF tournament. Duggan says, Gordy, he doesn't deserve the belt, and Hacksaw is going to take it away. Tough guy. And it looks like, yes, Terry Gordy accepting the challenge from Hacksaw Jim Duggan right here and right now. A TV title change two weeks ago, a tag title match last week, Roman, and could it be an impromptu UWF title match right here this week on TV? Let's hope so. Well, how excited was this? If you were sitting here watching this as it was going down. Oh, yeah. Oh my God! Can you believe it? I mean, you've already gotten these title matches. So, you're, what what can they do next year for you guys? So, will it go down? Will it happen? Well, not if Michael Hayes has anything to say about it. Hayes jumping off of commentary immediately to go put a stop to this, as he knows his brother Bam Bam won't back down from a fight. And just as it appears the match is about to kick off, Michael Hayes stepping in between the two and takes the microphone. Hayes says the birds used to be friends with Jim Duggan, but he's changed. For those idiotic fans. And I believe he starts to call Jim an SOB. When Duggan decks Michael Hayes good. Knocking him out of the ring. Hayes goes flying to the outside. And it looks like the fight is indeed on. Hacksaw Jim Duggan versus Terry Gordy. But the referees try to get involved now. Duggan even tossing Tommy Gilbert down to the side. But Michael Hayes back up. Climbing to the top rope. Looking to attack Duggan from behind. But it's Ted DiBiase appearing ringside. DiBiase shoving Hayes off the top rope and into the ring. And it's Gordy and Duggan slugging it out as DiBiase now goes to work on Michael Hayes as well. Jim Ross just losing his mind here on commentary as we close the show. By God. You know, even when we thought that we were guaranteed to see Jeff Gaylord, we still don't (laughs) see Jeff Gaylord get in the ring. You know, it's like three weeks in a row. But it was great when Hayes came out, you know, and the trash talking was going on. And Ross on commentary on commentary says that Duggan and Gordy used to be best friends. And I have a recollection of them teaming in Georgia earlier in the decade. So I thought that was kind of cool, a reference that they were no strangers to each other, you know, in addition to having the rivalry over the title. And, you know, Hayes gets involved, DiBiase gets involved, Katie barred the door, we got a Pierce Sixer, all hell's breaking loose, and of course they go off the air. 
we thought we were getting an impromptu title match, but honestly, the way the show ended, you almost forgot about the title match and you just saw this wild action and you wanted more of it. Yes, you definitely wanted more. You know, they, they would find a way of doing that. And that's why we did appreciate when we would get to see a finish mm-hmm. or get to see a match right before they went off the air because they were notorious for going off the air and not giving us what we wanted. Well, this didn't offend me as much as when we would be in the middle of a matchup and then they would just go off the air. We wouldn't get to see a finish. This, it was clear there wasn't going to be a matchup at this point, but you got to see a wild brawl. So this didn't offend me as much. I feel like this more so would make you want to go pay to go see these guys go go at it at, at the arenas. Right, and the excitement with Jim Ross on, on the mic. you know, Oh, just, he lost his mind. Yeah, yeah, it just... You know, in 1986, not only in the UWF, but the NWA as well, you know, when it was Magnum and Nikita or Flair Moore, like there were times you actually had to turn the television set down because it was so noisy with the crowd. Like you had to turn down the volume. Like, oh, my gosh, it was deafening. Right. Yeah. If you had surround sound, oh, my God, if you had that back in the day, my God, I can't even imagine. (laughs) It would have blown your eardrums out. (laughs) Very Very well. Good have. You know, but Jim Ross, uh, he loses his mind almost every week right now with a lot of the great angles going on. I've had people comment on some of the videos I posted on social media and on YouTube in regards to some of, of Jim Ross's commentary on these Bill Watts segments where he does go crazy. You know, oh, my, the cowboy, cowboy's walking tall. And people are like, how is he not, you know, having a stroke? But here, man, I think it was like next level here. I mean, he was just overselling this. And what a great time to do it as the show comes to a close. The last thing you hear is Jim Ross just going berserk here. And the crowd going crazy as this wild action is going on. Perfect storm. Just really great way to end the show. You'll hear in later episodes, and there's times where Ross will apologize for his voice, and you can hear that he's kind of hoarse. Or right. It's like, well, yeah, he had to yell over the crowd. Yeah, I, I, you know, as often as he did it, I got to give him kudos that, you know, he, he did keep his health along with this because, man, talk, Jim Ross is living proof that you can scream at the top of your lungs almost daily and still, you know, live a fairly healthy life for a while anyway. <laughs> Yeah, and, and the excitement was that great, you know, and uh, I had mentioned it in the past, as much as I love Gordon Soley, he would not have been the right man for this no, promotion because no. he could not have talked over the crowd. He, he could, couldn't well, have done it. Lance no, Russell he, couldn't have done it. No, and they, and they couldn't keep up with the, the speed of everything that's going on around them either, I don't think. Right. Yeah, but, th- this to me, Ross had already been doing commentary for a few years, but this is to me the time where like he took it to another level, like this elevated his game. I think he, ad- he it was- forced him to adapt to the new, new era of professional wrestling where some of the old guard, the old announcers likely wouldn't have tried to adapt. You know, it, it's funny that as an announcer, you're there to make the talent look good, but this helped show how good Ross was too. this time frame, Like he had to elevate his game to get the product over. Oh, no doubt. And like you said, lost in all of this, somehow for the third week in a row, Jeff Gaylord somehow finds a way to not step in the ring, which is just becoming a running gag at this point. Well, you know, it's funny. We were, we were talking earlier, like, you know, if you walk in the locker room and you see your name on the lineup sheet, you know, <laughs> and, hey, you're going against Brody and, you know, Gaylord's showing up. Like, ah, I don't have to work tonight, you know, <laughs> and probably still getting a. I don't want to say a good payday, but, you know, getting a payday, you know, and like not having to take any bumps. It's like, well, that's not too bad of a gig. Yeah, I'm I'm curious to see when Jeff Gaylord finally does step in a ring here, at least on television. As uh, we go on, guys, the June 22nd Power Pro, Jim Ross hosting the show. It's just a bunch of matches from the Superdome. I know I say that like, oh, it's just Superdome matches, but we've already talked about it. So I'll just let you guys know if you guys want to go watch this on YouTube. It's uh, labeled June 22nd Power Pro on my YouTube channel. 
YouTube.com slash Wrestling Grenade. You're going to see the one-man gang, Brett Sawyer match, Terry Taylor versus Buzz Sawyer, uh, Jack Victory and Coco Beware in the cat fight afterwards. Uh, no, I think that's it. Three matches from the Superdome. I stand corrected. And then Ted DiBiase and Dr. Death versus the Blade Runners from Houston, also on that episode of Power Pro. And as it comes to a conclusion, Jim Ross promising next week even more Superdome action. But spoiler, guys, it doesn't happen. I wrote bummer. So at this point, they had planned to show more Superdome matches next week, but we don't get them. You know, this last episode, Ray, I don't know if you're on the same page with me or not. I was thinking you get kind of spoiled by the UWF, you know, the matchups you'd see and everything. But this mm-hmm. episode, when you watch it from beginning to end, it felt like a great big long infomercial. They spent a lot of times mentioning the dates, the towns they were going to, yes. the interviews. And to me, that much time, it, it took a little bit away from this episode, in my eyes, at least. You know, I, I noticed, like, wow, they're they're hyping up another card I can't go to. You know, I can't go to this one. I can't, you know, like, it just seemed like they spent a lot of time. And I get it. They're trying to grow. They're trying to branch out their product. But there was a lot of advertising for towns and dates that a lot of people couldn't attend, you know? And it, I don't know. It, to me, it, it lost a little something this week with the – seeming like it was an hour-long infomercial almost. Right, and I'll say this about Power Pro, too, is it aired in more areas because it was already in syndication prior to the UWF market really you know, going out there. So somehow Power Pro was out there nationwide before the UWF show. And so I didn't mind the throwback matches, but I would have liked to have seen them utilize it a little more and give us a little uh, you know, unique content as well on this show. Yeah, that was the... One of the good things about Power Pro is when you see a match that you knew you couldn't see on the other syndicated show. You know, the flashback matches are great, you know, and there's times where they prove a point or they're trying to get something over. But if you saw a match on Power Pro that you didn't see on the regular syndicated episode, to me, that was like a bonus, you know, yeah, the you big got deal. Special, like, Whoa, right? I gotta... Yeah, yeah, exactly. And several of the Power Pro episodes would be taped at different venues and you just felt like you were getting a little something extra. So if they kept showing you the same thing over and over that you had already seen, it's like, eh, you know, like I I like, if you could have a mix, you know, like maybe repeat certain things, but not everything, you know, and then show some new content. I totally agree with that. But, um, you know, uh, moving forward, I can tell you guys right now, I have every episode of UWF TV for, the entire year of 1986. So we're going to cover every week in detail. Now there are a few episodes of power pro missing. I don't know that we're going to miss a whole lot by that, but I try to be as uh, complete as I can. I'm a completionist at heart. So when I have power pro, I definitely want to cover it here. Although sometimes it's, you know, it's just rehash. Yeah. And it's, it's hard, ladies and gentlemen, we are definitely doing the best we can to cover the episodes, you know, and it's, it's weird how, certain collectors or whatever will have one particular show that there's a gap in their collection. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, it's hard when we're missing that, but for the most part, Ray and I got everything covered. So we're yeah, very grateful that we were able to do that. Yeah. I'm extremely happy that we have every episode of UWF television, the, the main show. And also there's a lot of Houston footage out there. Thanks to the stuff that was released from the NWA Houston market. So, you know, we're going to have some matches from there from time to time as well to talk about. In fact, Roman, we're going to close this show right now and head up to June 27th at the Sam Houston Coliseum, the UWF back in town already after the 13th. And uh, we're going to run through the card real quick if you got a couple minutes. Yeah, sure do. All right. So 
He makes his actual debut here in the UWF on June 22nd, but it's the first time we mention him here on Regional Wrestling. I'm talking about the Libyan makes his uh, initial debut here uh, on the Regional Wrestling show here in the Sam Houston Coliseum. Brett Wayne Sawyer defeating the Libyan in the opening bout, so kind of says where he stands on the card. Yeah, it's a uh, placement a lot of times back then was huge. Uh, it's a little bit different now, but back then you definitely wanted to be on later on in the show. Well, we should have seen this coming, too, with the Bill Watts' recent promo on Libya. We should have seen this coming. And I love that Bill Watts isn't even screwing around. He's not going to give him some kind of cute name. Like, I think he was Abdul Gaddafi in the Memphis Territory right before this. But he comes here just as the Libyan. Watts simply wants you guys to know what his gimmick is. He's from Libya. <laughs> yeah, I'm su- surprised he didn't have a, a wrestler called the Russian Scum or something like that. <laughs> Oh, man. no oh, man. See, now I'm glad he's not booking anymore because that's something he would have went and done. Uh, also also here, Buzz, <laughs> the Buzz Sawyer-less Rick Steiner steps in the ring. He's going to do a job here for Chavo Guerrero on the undercard. Also, the missing link stepping in the ring, scoring a count-out victory over Jack Victory, who takes off. Oh, listen to this. Singles action. Cowboy Bill Watts over Blade Runner Sting. That had to be something else. Yeah, Sting uh, probably went, uh, in the words of Ernie Ladd, under the learning tree. He you was, know, learning from the cowboy. <laughs> yeah, he, he was under the learning tree. He probably t- took a couple of nice stiff shots too along the way. Oh, man. Yeah, I was going to say, Watts <laughs> probably broke the branch off the tree and hit him a few times. <laughs> also on the card, the Freebirds, Buddy Roberts and Michael Hayes teaming up, defeating the team of Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Terry Taylor. So the Freebirds going over on a couple of big names there. And then we turn around in the next matchup, and it's Ted DiBiase teaming with Hacksaw Jim Duggan. So Duggan doing double duty here. Not really sure who he'd be replacing because you have to think it just doesn't make sense otherwise because we go from the birds going over on Duggan and Taylor to DiBiase and Duggan defeating the duo of Kamala and the gang on a disqualification. So Duggan went from behind the scenes, you know, you better take it easy for a little bit to, hey, we need you to work twice tonight. There you go. Yeah, well, you took those two weeks off, so double duty now to earn those paychecks back. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, you owe us. <laughs> I paid you to sit at home, but I wasn't paying you to sit at home. Get back in there. Get your ass in there. <laughs> I can see that. Absolutely. <laughs> also on the card, UWF heavyweight champion Terry Gordy defeating Steve Williams. That had to be a good one. Heck yeah. One of my favorite tag teams of all time, and they were also great to watch go against each other. Oh, two, yeah. two big bulls that if somebody was over your house and you had that on, they wouldn't go, oh, look at these little phonies. They yeah, would look like, right. damn, these two are badasses, you know? <laughs> For sure. And, of course, Doc had wrestled Gordy in the tournament in the semifinals. Gordy stole the win there, and he picks up another one here, maybe like, likely stole it again. Who knows? Uh, but, yeah, you know, their feud in uh, 1989 NWA just did not go on long enough, not enough of it on TV. Their clash match was cut short. And, uh, you know, they didn't right. work each other in the war games, which was cool. Watching Doc press Gordy, 300-pound Gordy repeatedly oh, gee, press him up. Christmas. Wasn't that awesome? You know, even if Gordy, you know, helped all he could to try to be as light as he could, he's still 300 pounds. Yeah, you know, like to pick something up 300 pounds over your head, like you said, pressing him into the cage repeatedly. Oh, rep, yeah, repping. To, yeah, reps. Like 12 reps. Yeah. Doc made it look like he was picking a pillow up in the air and just yeah. pushing it above his head. Just crazy. But what a card here. Bill Watson, Sting with the Freebirds, Duggan, Terry Taylor, DiBiase, Kamala, the gang. You got Gordy and Williams. And then in the main event, much like the Superdome, it was the Sheepherders, uh, or excuse me, the Fantastics defeating the Sheepherders here, probably getting ready to close out the feud here in Houston between these two tag teams. But the boot camp match is back again. 
you know, hearing all these cards, like, my gosh, I, there's part of me that kind of wishes I lived in a different part of the country back then so I could have attended those. Those would have been a blast to see in person. Oh, it would have been like Meltzer moving down to Dallas during the uh, <laughs> during the peak of the uh, the world-class territory there. Yeah. It's crazy stuff. I mean, top to bottom, what a card. I mean, you know, the Libyans here now. So, hey, we got that. And he, w- he was another guy like Gustavo Mendoza that, you know, was a fun enhancement worker to watch. It wasn't just a Joe Blow that no physique, didn't know what, you know, like he, he was fun to watch. It seemed, it added a little credibility when a, when a star beat a Gustavo Mendoza, you know, like, Oh, he beat a tough customer. And you know, the Libyan kind of had that in him too. For sure. For sure. So, I mean, we covered a lot of ground here this week. We got a couple weeks of TV done. We talked about the Superdome. We covered another Sam Houston Coliseum card. So, a lot of things out of the way. We're basically about to close out the month of June and head into the month of July. A lot of big things coming that way. I believe UWF even going to do a joint show and uh, take on a Great American Bash card later in the summer here. Uh, of course, they're going to return to the Sam Houston Coliseum repeatedly over the summer. So lots to look forward to. Lots of names coming in. John Tatum and Missy Hyatt going to pop up uh, by the next episode, I do believe. Yeah, and for you Jeff Gaylord fans, at some point, somehow, some way, he will get in the ring and actually lock up with another wrestler. Uh, unfortunately, by that point, you'll probably wish he hadn't, uh, especially a rookie Jeff Gaylord. But that's another, that's another story for another day. Sorry, Jeff Gaylord fans. I, I saw him on Dallas a lot growing up, so I don't have anything against him. I've heard stories since that time that you know make me wonder about him, but it is what it is. And, you know, just what a great era. Gordy's title reign is just getting started. You know, there's all kinds of talent in there. The Hayes DiBiase stuff, the debut of the Missing Link, the Fantastic and Sheepherders that never got old. There's just so much to be excited about right now as a UWF wrestling fan. And the Libyan has arrived, guys. Don't forget about that. Yeah, but it's it's it was a hell of a ride this week. A lot of fun, to, lots of angles, lots of crazy stuff going on from the Tommy Gilbert stuff all the way down to getting to see Gordy in the ring. We almost got a Gordy Duggan match there. Pretty cool stuff here for television. Lots of great matches for TV the last couple of weeks as well, and I'm sure that's going to continue on as this, in the summer months here. So uh, stay tuned, guys, to the next episode. Roman, I appreciate you being here, brother. I really do. My pleasure, man. It's always a blast talking old school wrestling with you, Ray. Yeah, it's a great time, and uh, lots more to come. Lots of names still headed in. We saw the missing link, like you said, debut. A few more on the way still as the summer continues on. I'm looking forward to that. And Roman Gomez, everyone, thank you for finding the time. I know it's a busy schedule out there in Vegas. But thank you for taking a few hours after work to catch up and uh, do another show. My pleasure. Always enjoy doing this. And all right, guys, that's going to wrap it up here this week for Regional Wrestling. And of course, we'll be back soon with more UWF 86, Georgia 81, and Memphis 85. And I am your host, Ray Russell. You can follow me on X at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. And we'll be back soon with more Regional Wrestling, where we talk the territories. (laughs) 